Do we need to clap or anything? No, we did, ma- a, we did a countdown. Just when someone no. says something good on the podcast. I mean, you can clap if you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only podcast where people clap. You like, you like that, normals? You like that? Yeah. <laughs> incredible. Screen Vomit, the only movie podcast for normal people. I'm your host, Kayla, and with me, I have two of Hollywood's biggest hellraisers. In one corner, we have writer, director, some may say filmmaker, uh, Jersey Rose. Say Hello. hi. Hi, so happy to be <laughs> Waving here. Waving doesn't do anything. Right. <laughs> I, I nodded, I waved, I spun around a little bit. Right. And in the other corner, we have also all those same things. King of the Shorts Kings, longtime normals will know. Alex Kavutsky, you also have to say hi. <laughs> oh, I raised um, two fingers on each hand, sort of like a... Which two fi- You better specify which two fingers. Uh, my index and middle, but not okay. like middle in a rude way, just like, it's like peace, like hello, hey. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Richard Nixon. Yeah, I'm uh, Richard Nixon and seeing the normals. Yeah, hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> it could be funny to raise pointer on one hand, middle on the other. Combine, you know. <laughs> oh, that's like that's like that's t- kind of patting funny. your head and rubbing your stomach at the same time for some reason. It doesn't feel do right. It. Like, it feels horrible. <laughs> It's not natural, actually, and uh, we have to light our hands on fire now. <laughs> so about y'all too, Alex. I know you're a big film guy. Jersey, are you? You also a film professor? Question mark. I am. Yeah, I'm also a film professor. What type of uh, teaching do you do? I do editing and, and production, but I, I kind of I smush in a lot of aesthetics and film history into my courses. So it's everything. Oh, yeah. I teach. I teach everything. I know everything about uh, cinema. <laughs> Does your class have to listen to this podcast as homework? Oh my god, I hope not. Can you, <laughs> could you, can you spell my name a little wrong, actually? <laughs> nope, I'm going to do all the hashtags, so everyone will be able to find you. Sorry. <laughs> At FBI. Um, so my only question for y'all two uh, right now is, was there a film for each of y'all that changed you from being normal movie watching people into being film guys into being into cinema was there a movie that was the moment yeah for me i don't remember which one came first but i know like in my early teens i watched the graduate and then i caught hannah and her sisters on tv and i was like oh are movies like good are movies like really good that's exciting (laughs) and then i immediately got on the netflix discs and got every single ingmar bergman movie and didn't Hell follow yeah. any of them. But, <laughs> so I, ha- I have to spend all of my time now rewatching Bergman movies I watched when I was 14. 14, that's pretty young. Yeah, you can, you can go to like other, you can go to Stanley Kubrick first. You can explore other cinema before <laughs> jumping into Bergman. But you went feet first. I yeah. didn't know. I didn't know. I was like, let me mm-hmm. Google movies. You Googled movies and his name came up. It came up somewhere <laughs> high, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Rightfully so, just it wasn't the, <laughs> just the clearest path. Hell yeah. Jersey, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I remember being like a, a kid and seeing Kubrick and Woody Allen and stuff. But I, I feel like the time that I maybe the moment I connected like art and movies was maybe um, uh, happiness. Uh, Todd Salon's. Hell yeah. Oh, oh snap, um, snap. Oh, yeah. Are we clapping that, for I that walked, one? We're clapping for the happiness. <laughs> 
I walked past that uh, VHS cover in the video stores a lot as a mm-hmm. kid and thought, like, what this movie seems like I won't get it or I won't like it because it's like, you know, it's like the Dan Close portraits of all the characters. And mm-hmm. but it's great. It's like really fun and provocative. And uh, what point in your life did you watch that? Like when it came out or what age were you? Uh, teen, a teenager, teen boy. Teens. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Well, that's tight. Answers from both of y'all. Okay, so... Wait, can I change the- my answer? My, my formative yeah. movie moment was seeing Margaret. In, oh, in, that's a uh, good answer. Yeah. <laughs> Which version? Uh, it was last week watching the extended <laughs> three-hour director's cut with you <laughs> on Monday night. That's when I really realized that films could be art. Hell yeah. <laughs> okay, and that being said... The movie that was picked this week was the 2011 film Margaret. We specifically agreed to talk about the theatrical version. However, um, Alex has come in hot and ready to discuss both. Jersey's ready too. So they'll just Jersey's put this on ready. Me. Jersey's hot and ready yeah, too. And actually, the, the longer one is a little fresher for me. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't know. Okay. So this was a, a classic stinker scheme from Alex. So <laughs> Alex, tell the people why you picked this movie. You know, there's. I mean, hot take. There's a lot of movies out there. And it's hard to yeah. remember all of them. Mm-hmm. But Margaret was fresh in my head because I saw on somebody's letterbox here. A very, <laughs> someone in the room. Someone in the Zoom room. <laughs> a very rude, negative review. <laughs> and it wasn't like from some loser dork. It was like from someone that allegedly had good taste in movies. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and uh, simultaneously in my life, I have a filmmaker friend who's also a college professor who loves like kind of these intellectual talky movies Mm -hmm. and he revealed this deep deep secret that he's never seen margaret Mm -hmm. so i thought i would uh kill a bunch of birds with one stone (laughs) or kill a a nice lady with a bus if you will Hell yeah. So yeah, several months ago, you saw my letterbox review and uh, instantly DM'd me to drag me for being an idiot for my rating on Margaret. And at that point, I said, okay, then tell me why you liked it. And you said, do you remember what you said? (laughs) Uh, It was a really eloquent response. (laughs) It was something to the effect of, you're the one with the movie podcast, not me. (laughs) I don't talk about movies. (laughs) So... (laughs) That's fair. It's very funny that uh, now here we are. <laughs> but I brought back up. I needed a film professor to, <laughs> who could put words together. But you've already I, I, I painted be, the jury. Uh-huh. But I, I want to be clear. Like I, Alex didn't ask me because I know a lot about movies. He he thought uh-huh. that I that I would be able to articulate why he specifically liked mm-hmm. Margaret because he's mm-hmm. he's not he's totally shy. confident. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With his, uh, with his ability to express himself in this way. So yeah, Jersey, well, you're going to have to be clear when you're speaking for yourself and for me. Correct. I, I don't think that I'm a scholar of Margaret or of contemporary American mm-hmm. uh, independent cinema, but I do think I'm becoming kind of a scholar of uh, Alex Kavitsky and his taste in films. So well, that's why I'm probably here. That's, that's my role here. <laughs> I also, um, Jersey, something funny. I read some blurb about you online that said uh, you love writing about scholarly perverts. So, <laughs> <laughs> therefore, I think that this movie applies, <laughs> correct, to your interests specifically. <laughs> Who's the scholarly pervert in the movie? Oh, is it Matt Damon? <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler. Is it Anna? Is it is it Margaret? I mean, is it Lisa herself, not Margaret? Wow. Okay. Wow, that's, I already blew it. <laughs> That's the big thing in the movie. The movie's not named Lisa. That's the best part of the movie. (laughs) 
Okay, so let me go through the cast real fast. I'm going to run through these because it's truly a stunt casted. First of all, written and directed by Kenneth Lonergan, who also wrote and directed Manchester by the Sea. He also plays the dad in this movie. Anna Paquin starring. Obviously, everyone knows her from True Blood and other things. J. Smith Cameron, also from True Blood, also married to the director, IRL, Mark Ruffalo, Jean Reno from Leon the Professional, Josh Hamilton, who's also in Manchester by the Sea, uh, Allison Janney, Kieran Culkin, Matthew Broderick, Matt Damon, just all kinds of people in this guy. So You forgot to um, mention the, uh, the succession yeah. connection that half the cast is also now in succession. True. And also a lot of the cast were also in this director's other movie, You Can Count On Me as well. Sure, so yeah. lots of connections between this cast. If you get all the stars in Hollywood, I guess they're bound to happen. All right. And critic scores, this has 74% on Rotten Tomatoes and 63 from Google users. So uh, not incredible. <laughs> despite any arguments from is that not good what is i don't for context like what is the what is a good uh, google rating for a movie good google i would say would be over 80 wow really okay that's yeah a big that's what i would say is a good google users but you also have to make some concessions like if there's anything like if it's an abortion movie it's gonna have a low rating you this know, is an abortion movie <laughs> yeah, this is an abortion this movie. This is literally well, an the, abortion movie. The three-hour cut is more of an abortion movie. Yes. yes, yeah. So if we're talking about the theatrical release, no abortion happens in that. We'll get to it. <laughs> well, just because it happens off screen doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Technically, it happens off screen in both versions. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> let's watch the trailer, and then we can get into it. Yo. Hey, Paul. Lisa Cohen. By any chance, would would you want to meet somewhere and like take away my virginity? Um, all right. I think I can handle this part myself. According to the statement, the light was green when the bus passed through the intersection? Yes. So you're saying she walked against the light? I know you feel a sense of responsibility about what happened, but you can't not do your homework and you can't throw away your scholarship because of it. The bus driver probably has a family to support. Do you remember me from the bus accident? It's a tragedy. You cannot bring her back. I'm talking about telling the accident investigators what really happened. But you already talked to them. I know that, but I lied. You're going to go home, you're going to do your homework, and I'm going to lose my job. And who's going to take care of my family? You? I just need to talk to somebody who doesn't completely misunderstand who I am or what's going on inside me. I feel like you and I used to relate to each other really well. I feel so bad about what happened, and I'm trying so hard to do something about it. The worlds of one would leave me a lie, and yet you will weep and know why. It is Margaret you mourn for. All right. 
Mine's done. Yeah, mine's done too. Alex, you muted. Sorry, I just put on the three-hour trailer. <laughs> <laughs> three-hour trailer trail. Incredible. That's a good trailer. It's a little, a little dramatic. Yeah, a it little, was very dramatic. Shows a little too much uh, who kisses who at the end. Yeah, it makes me want to watch it again right away, though, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it had good vibes. Uh, yeah. Matt Damon on the bike, also always funny. <laughs> it's a Matt Damon-heavy trailer, I gotta say, it for is. how much of the movie yeah. he's in. It's, it's, it's definitely weighted towards him. I wonder why. I mean, why would they make that decision to cut the trailer that way? I see how big your grin is from that little Matt Damon head over here. <laughs> we were talking about pre-recording how Jersey is number one Matt Damon stan. I've recently become a big Matt Damon fan. Just yeah. because of downsizing? Uh, no, I saw downsizing years ago. It's more, I didn't watch any, this is the only new Matt Damon film for me. I'm just reevaluating him, I guess. Yep. Mm-hmm. He's moved up a number of lines in my favorite actors list. After seeing the Republican one that recently came out, Jersey's opinion of Matt Damon has gone increasingly upward. Stillwater is good. I love Stillwater. <laughs> I stand Stillwater. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that's maybe the most exciting uh, new movie I've seen this year. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so about this movie, we have to get into the timeline because it's like the number one thing you read about this movie is the timeline of it. This man started writing the screenplay for this in 2001. It took three years to complete the screenplay, filmed in 2005 with projected release in 2005, but but due to disputes over the time of the final cut took six years to edit and therefore did not come out until 2011, which when you get to the film, you can really tell from the whole entire vibe truly like the costumes the makeup the 9-11 talk the bush talk etc because he was obligated contractually to release a two and a half hour cut but refused to budge off of his three hour cut which now they both exist and y'all have watched both of them so i'm sure moments will come up between both of them so that exists with this movie (laughs) see it feels like a movie that came out way after it was supposed to come out and then there was these two versions but both of them have pros so the best version of this movie exists somewhere in between so this is a movie that doesn't really exist no one knows about it this is not a real movie (laughs) i mean it was a huge bomb i think there was like a 14 million dollar budget and it made like just over half a million dollars in box office worldwide. We're so. trying to make it up and renting it to watch for the podcast. Three ninety nine at a time. <laughs> <laughs> So when we get into it, obviously Anna Paquin is our main character. She is a young, hot, rich girl troublemaker. One of the first things that happens with her is that she has to see her hot teacher after class, uh, who is Matt Damon, the hot teacher. He's from Indiana, where hot people are famously from. And just right off the bat, you can uh, feel the sexual tension between these two guys. Yep, from Indiana. Yeah, don't let the details bore you. But yeah, that's (laughs) however he puts it. <laughs> it may or may not be pertinent to one of us in this room who is also from Indiana. <laughs> so Oh, you're in Indiana? <laughs> yeah. I just moved back to Indiana, uh, which is my hometown. So Congrats uh, on the <laughs> first representation of someone from Indiana in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> nah, there's been several, a handful at least. Um, that movie Columbus, I guess. Yeah, there's some shows too. Stranger Things is in Indiana and Parks and Rec. Uh, anyway, we can carry on. <laughs> Margaret was a really big movie in Indiana. It's a big... Uh, <laughs> Everyone in Indiana was just so excited to finally have like an Indiana. You know, the buzz was going. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, so she's a big troublemaker girl. She's smoking cigs. She goes on a date with a boy to the movies. And one of her first things is that she's on a mission to get a cowboy hat for a trip she's taking with her dad horseback riding. She actually agrees to go to the movies with this guy. She does. She's not sure it's a date, but the movie happens later. Something big happens between true, agreeing true. to go to the movies <laughs> and actually going to the movies. If we're okay, talking okay, timeline. <laughs> On her shopping trip, before we get to the big thing, we get a weird tiny cameo from Kristen Ritter, who's selling hats, not even in a speaking role, which was kind of fun. And so she can't find a good hat until she sees one on Mark Ruffalo, the bus driver, who's driving bus with a big cowboy hat on. They get distracted flirty, and he runs a red light and has an accident where he murders Alice and Janney. Is it, is it murder, though? I mean... Yeah, as a police officer explained later, it's not murder. <laughs> the definition of murder, I mean, it involves, like, it, he didn't intend to run over her with a bus. An unintentional accident. An as, unintentional murder. Yeah. As Lisa says, what, does he have to kill her on purpose? And the cop says, yes. <laughs> yes. That's the definition, That's the definition of, murder, of murder. Killing someone on purpose. True, true, true. <laughs> but you're not... Kayla, you're not saying that he did it on purpose, are you? No, I would never oh. say such a thing. Because <laughs> I, could, I could see why, if you thought he did it on purpose, mm-hmm. I could see why you might not like that film. <laughs> <laughs> that he's purposely running down women with their groceries. Oh, terrible, terrible idea mm-hmm. for a movie. Mm-hmm. While wearing a cowboy hat, of all things. Yeah, not how you want to be remembered. Okay, so let's go over this bus accident because I do like what happens with the bus accident. I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, the leg over here, the body over there. Alice and Janney being a damn king in the scene. Mm-hmm. What do y'all have to say about it? It's a brutal accident. I mean, mm-hmm. okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to go through every scene and we're going to say, mm-hmm. and you're going to say, is this scene good? And we're going to say, yes, this scene's very good. Uh huh. I tell me know. what you like about it. Wait, I want to know. Hold on. I want to know bigger picture. You just rewatched it today. Okay. Do you stand by mm-hmm. your two stars? We'll have to get to that at the end. Okay, in two, that case, Two stars yeah. out, of, out of what? Out of three stars? Or how many? What's the, <laughs> what's the maximum stars? Out of five stars. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. That's low. <laughs> two was my initial review. That's true. I do think that there are good things about this movie. We'll go over them. But when we get to the end, I'll also tell you what the bad things were. Uh, oh, that'd be a short segment. I mean, I think like on the rewatch, it was really mm-hmm. interesting how how little we see of Lisa's life before this bus accident. Because mm-hmm. I think, especially Lisa a, being Anna Paquin, yeah, yes. especially in like a a three hour movie, you'd think the big you know inciting event is going to be half an hour in, forty minutes in. Let us get the like we don't even meet the mom. That's like the one of the most important characters in the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's like I was like, why are they starting this movie on this like flirty little Matt Damon scene? <laughs> But uh, all we know is she's horny bad girl. Right. But it's not that she's just a bad girl. It's like it's like she could just get away with anything. She's this girl mm-hmm. has literally never had a problem her whole life. Like the mm-hmm. first scene is not just like her being bantery with a teacher. He's like, you were cheating on this test. And she's like, ha 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 ha. Everybody was cheating. And he's like, get out of here. <laughs> Don't cheat on math tests anymore. And she's in her little mini skirt. She's giving him a little yeah. little something. So yeah. it like she says, makes... she says, you are so fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. See, it makes sense that you would think, oh, yeah, of course I can talk to a guy driving a moving bus and try to wave him down. Like, there are zero consequences to my actions. Mm -hmm. And not Mm -hmm. only is there a consequence, but she gets to be front and centered. It's still like she still makes it about herself. She gets to be right in there and get Mm -hmm. to uh, share the last moment with uh, Alice and Janney's life yeah it's great the scene's great yeah it was a little heart-wrenching scene i mean i think maybe one of the best dyings there is 
Would you agree? I mean, I've never seen someone die so great. It's a horrifying on-screen death. Yeah. The, yeah. Almost everything about it. The the part where she asks uh, if her eyes are open uh, and she's told that they are in fact open, and then she gets emotional and seems to start crying, and she says, "What do you What do you mean?" Um, that was really difficult to watch. I thought that was mm-hmm. a really, really uh, just absolutely horrifying. Did you do tears? I did not cry at that part. No. Mm-hmm. We all shy to cry next to each other. I've seen this movie twice with Jersey last week. He's cried twice. Oh, okay. Okay. But not during that scene. I, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Both times at the, at the same part. Yeah, but, same part. Yeah. But. That happened to me once where I lost my sight. It is very scary. Oh, but yeah. I was passing out, not dying. You're mm-hmm. from Indiana. You lost your sight. You relate to every single character in this movie, but in a different way. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways. I, I do want to put a little bookmark on the sight thing, though, because Go. that actually, that happens in King Lear, too. It's what happens to mm-hmm. Gloucester before he says Ooh. that important line that is later debated oh, oh. in uh, Matthew Broderick's class. The, okay. the meaning of, Wait, so of Gloucester, human suffering. Gloucester loses his sight? Yeah. Before that. That's very interesting. I think I read it really quickly this morning. But yes, he's blinded by his children or something they skimmed it again but that's when are you he reading says that it right now about, yeah i have it right here that's when he <laughs> says the s flies to wanton boys are we to the gods they kill us for their sport i mean that's not a he's, coincidence yeah oh wow he's, he's like he's aware like as he's dying blind that you know human suffering is meaningless and that he's not like the central figure in some narrative that's been constructed around his life it's all just purposeless uh, suffering hell yeah i want to make the normals aware that jersey's holding a shakespeare book (laughs) in his hand on the podcast (laughs) this is why we have a scholar on (laughs) and that is why alex likes uh, that scene in this movie because of those kinds of uh, those kinds of those, like tight connections, the connection to my favorite scene in the movie when they talk yes. about King Lear. I believe that is your favorite scene of the movie. I so mean, I'm isn't that everybody? Is that everybody's favorite scene in the movie? It's the best scene in the movie. We're way we're low, we're so far away from that though. This is such a long movie. We should probably keep. Uh, yeah, keep we'll going. keep going. Well, that's what I'm saying. This podcast is only uh-huh. for Margaret heads. So if you're mm-hmm. a Margaret head, hey, jump around. Let's jump around the movie. Let's yeah. talk about the scene where Matthew Broderick sips his little juice. Eats his little sandwich. And we'll get there. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> you yourself said, I hope this podcast is longer than the extended cut of Margaret. <laughs> okay, but, but Jersey <laughs> did just you or dropped... did you not message me that? <laughs> I, did, I did message you that multiple times, but. <laughs> I'm saying Jersey just made an incredible connection with the Gloucester being blind. So now it's like, now we got to put that aside. Uh-huh. Okay, we'll put and it we'll aside. Okay, it. all right. Okay. Okay, so, we can I'm sorry you blew my mind. Okay. <laughs> calm down. <laughs> I'm, I'm fired up. <laughs> I, <know>. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to just say, though, that there. Uh-huh. Right away, like, without knowing anything about anything, one feels very taken care of by this film, or I felt very taken care of. I immediately kind of... Yeah. I believed that this was a script that knew what it was doing. I don't know mm-hmm. if that was the if that was the moment, um, but I understood that probably everything had significance within the first 20 minutes and was then looking for all kinds of points of connection. Mm-hmm. And they were all there for the taking. It was It's a very uh, interconnected and, and wonderful series of references. And, yeah, sorry, go on. Hell yeah. (laughs) Okay, so when she gets home covered in blood. um, (laughs) Nice, very nice. This is the first time that we meet Mommy, too. Mm -hmm. Mom is sort of a struggling stage actress. Struggling question mark? I don't know. She's a stage actress. She seems successful. Yeah. Yeah. I just think of anyone as a stage actor being struggling for some reason. (laughs) Um, That just doesn't seem like an end goal, but I guess it is for some people. Uh, And that's fine. Sorry for dragging stage actors. She's Broad, she's on Broadway, right? It's a Broadway yeah, it's play. Big. I don't know. They just say play. But it's like she always gets awards. There's a, po- there's a poster for it above like the like uh, uh, MTA entrance and. Okay. 
Well, I don't know. Okay, so yeah, mom's a stage actress. She has a stan, and it is Leon the professional guy. He sounds like Dracula in this movie, which is fun. Do you agree or disagree that that character, Ramon, is the greatest character that's ever been in any movie? (laughs) (laughs) You think so? So why do you think he's the greatest cinema character of all time? State your points. Uh, Jersey, why do I think he's the greatest cinema character of all time? instantly oh, chickening out no no that's a that's a that's a tough one that's like i feel like i hadn't gotten all the way there with my with my thesis that i was writing about you but um but i okay why does alex think that this character is the greatest cinema character of all time i think you just like how completely peculiar and inappropriate he is on every level nothing about him makes any sense it's a french actor doing like a colombian <laughs> accent which Kayla thinks sounds yeah. like Dracula. Which I think Dracula is having like an Eastern European accent. I don't know. But yeah, it's a bizarre accent. So his character says his character is from Colombia, but spent time in Panama and Paris. And Paris, yes. And in real life, he was born in Morocco to Spanish parents and then later went to France. So right. the accents, I mean, a freaking worldwide range on this guy. But he's definitely <laughs> doing an accent. Yes. And the, the accent it's definitely that not his natural accent. True. All of the choices that, uh, what's his name, the actor? Jean Reno. Jean Reno. All of the choices that Jean Reno is making are, I think, brilliant and bizarre. <laughs> uh, and I, I, think, I think Alex is appreciating every single one of them. I think he um, also deepens his voice for this character. I was listening to some side-by-side earlier uh, with his normal like being on a talk show thing and then this character and I think he deepened his voice as well I might have, to slightly, I might have to slightly disagree on why you okay. think I like him so much but I, okay. I haven't finished I haven't oh, I'm sorry finished go ahead. Well, this I'm, is what I'm happens sorry. when you ask someone else to speak for you I feel like I'm, I'm hesitating because so much of it is like stuff that happens later and I, I know we're going scene by scene okay. but like there's two really significant sort of off-screen reveals with this character mm-hmm. you know first of all he has like this enormous off-screen death which is like hilarious <laughs> that it's it's brushed yeah. over by the movie, I think, in a, in a comical way. It's treated mm-hmm. in, in a sort of, like, slapsticky comical way. Like, the funeral, suddenly it feels like a Seinfeld episode. Like, his son comes up and sort of reveals to Joan, the mother, that, like, he was sort of a Casanova of sorts. And mm-hmm. uh, it just it seems, it seems like such a bizarre tonal shift. But you realize that, like, nothing nothing that he's been representing has, has really had anything to do with who he is as a person. Like, he's just sort of, you know, repeating sort of strange... Um, well, he's very repetitive, and they have no connection whatsoever, Joan and Ramon. Mm-hmm. Oh, they rhyme? Joan and Ramon. It's a half rhyme. I think that's a yeah. full rhyme. It's a full rhyme? No, you're right. Yeah. It's a full rhyme. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Alex, state your case now. But yeah, well, go, go ahead. I just want to add that I just think it's like this movie of just these incredibly emotional characters to have mm-hmm. this confident, calm presence who also like seem like he's not dumber than them. Maybe he just seems like he's beneath her. Like he doesn't really always understand what she's talking about. But he's just <laughs> he's his, simple. Com- his simple presence, and but he makes mm-hmm. some great political points later that I agree with one of their points. But <laughs> but uh, yeah, but his like his, about like the oppressors and the you know the typical Jewish mm-hmm. response. But, yeah, but yeah. Uh, it, but yeah, just like the oh, that's not the problem. That's not a problem. And I think mm-hmm. overall, I agree with most of the cuts that like made the three hour movie the two and a half hour movie but i think the the best thing that was lost was like that scene of when she asks him like don't you think we have nothing to talk about and he's like let's not talk about things like this and he's she's like what we, we shouldn't talk about like our relationship and he's like no go go talk to your friends about that nothing good comes from like, us yeah. talking about this like he's just uh, an absolute king i don't know what to say like go off remote <laughs> i agree i love that part i love that scene that was cut but i think 
that's really just that's an extension of kind of the mm-hmm. weird disconnect that's described on their date scene when she's trying to to make a point about how saying bravi seems pretentious <laughs> and he just completely doesn't understand what she's getting at and it's just like no mm-hmm. that's just the that's the you plural. have to gender Duh. the yeah, yeah. Plural. <laughs> um and like there's just like they're just two you know they're on completely different wavelengths mm-hmm. and it's hilarious that he's totally okay with that and she's uh, already sort of concerned that that's pro- going to be a problem in their relationship mm-hmm I love that part of that character. I love that idea of that character because I find it really sad and funny Mm -hmm. and authentic. For how goofy it is, it seems authentic, which I think is a big part of uh, this movie's style. Yeah, sure. I can agree with that. I do think personally uh, I could have done with less of the mom in her relationship because I think she goes on a date pretty much every single day and we see I think all of them. I think we just spend a little bit too much time there. I didn't love that. I she just started much. dating a new person. <laughs> She's nervous about her play. She's nervous about it. her kids meeting. <laughs> I also think isn't it a bit unusual for like a character study type of film to have so many scenes that exist outside of that main character's perspective like outside of the room where they are well now we're getting into what the absolute core of margaret is is it's a coming of age story realizing that lisa's not the main character of life okay yeah yeah the other thing that i really think they shouldn't have cut and i listened to a laundry interview and he said this is what he most regrets cutting was like they had this like long zoom in scene where she's telling the guy that likes her about things, but they only use the audio of just like a random conversation in the diner while mm-hmm. it zooms in on him. Yeah, you saw a story of how like the producers were like, What are you doing? We can't even hear the main character. And he was like, Oh, yeah, of course that's bad. Let me cut this from the movie. And then only later he realized, Oh, no, that's like the that's the movie. It's just like hearing as many bits and pieces about everyone that isn't Lisa as she slowly realizes the world's not about Lisa. Yeah, and that so I saw the longer version first whatever whenever other time I watched Margaret that was the long one but it's been a long time so I don't really remember much but I did watch a long YouTube video comparing the two so (laughs) have a little bit (laughs) scene by scene comparisons from today Uh, I'll also post it in the show notes because it was really good but the dialogue from people on the streets that was one of the bigger things that was the difference between the two and a half hour and the three hour is that in the three hour all the time throughout the movie we're getting these scenes of just Mm -hmm. kind of like b-roll people on the street and in the longer one you hear a lot of those little snippets of conversations and those are actually like real things that the director heard people saying while he was passing by and wrote them down and then put them into his movie and in the two and a half hour basically all of that was cut and then just has you know score over it or whatever instead which um kind of took away some of the the city's humanity the the character of the city you know yeah new york new york city is like another character in margaret another one of the stars of the cast yeah i should have mentioned it up top and i totally forgot um, but, but you know uh that does make a difference in the atmospheric vibe so, so no yeah, we don't think there's too much ramon in the movie <laughs> that's the answer yeah long story short but I, but i think you make a you make a salient mm. observation i think Kayla, that is sort of the, one of the big theses of the movie is that it's Kayla like, has raised a salient point. <laughs> it's not. It's Putting not that on a, my resume. Okay. <laughs> raised <laughs> a salient point once. <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever said that to me, actually. 
salient I'm, point. Carry on. I'm, I'm borrowing rhetoric from the film of Margaret. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you read Shakespeare this morning, so I understand. I think someone says something is salient <laughs> in, the, in the screenplay. Yeah, no, no, that's it's, it's very, like, it's very played for laughs. It's, it's very like, early on where Margaret, or oh, I keep saying Margaret, Lisa. <laughs> Wow. Where Lisa was saying you can't, she's like, it's, I don't remember what you said, it's, like, it's very reductive to call the president's crooked because right. it's more mm-hmm. like it from like the modern perspective. And someone goes, oh, Lisa has raised a salient point. Salient and everyone, point right everyone laughs. <laughs> yeah. So I want to be clear. I was not like that's done in a very mocking way in the film. I was not intending to mock uh, mm-hmm. uh, your observation because I, I think that is the, that is sort of the point of the movie is that it's like a, you know, her sort uh-huh. of learning that she's being not roasted by calling me salient. <laughs> <laughs> has that happened? before does that happen every week is that like, a thing? <laughs> like i said i don't think anyone's ever said that word to my face um who knows what they say behind my back <laughs> people saying i raise salient points behind my back that's kind of funny um this is why i don't read the reviews um okay so that my next note is about there's a long slow slow-mo scene of just anna paquin walking down the street but she's got no bra and like the girls are are flouncing and bouncing and it just feels like a really perverted shot i remember thinking about this both times that i watched it like I feel like I shouldn't be watching this. I mean, I mean, this is, I mean, this is a, this is a coming of age movie. I mean, this is her, <laughs> the story of her losing her virginity. There is also uh-huh. a scene of her True. like watching her gym teacher stretch mm-hmm. and the boys watching her. I don't know. I, I wasn't like. You felt great about watching. I wasn't like, oh yeah, and a pack one and walking down the street. I was, I was feeling. She just saw someone get murdered by a bus. I was with her. I, this is the sequence where she's kind of like hassled or catcalled yeah. by some people mm-hmm. and like brushes through them. Yeah, I mean, it seemed to be about like being a, a young woman in the, it's, in a, it's in a the city it's the poster like of the the movie mm-hmm. i'm holding up yeah. the, the, the i also like i don't want to stay on this forever <laughs> yeah. but like she is wearing a bra right like that's, you can see that's that right very, there like, that's a bralette that's like, at best part of her that's like part it's of not, her there's nothing structurally like going on underneath that but the the only i'm just just to the be contradictory material. like the only thing we know about her <laughs> costuming is that she's wearing like a bra and a shirt like that's that's incredibly <laughs> clear from the movie poster it uh, should be noted that um, both the guys do have the screenplay that they keep holding up <laughs> to the camera. So. <laughs> Did you just buy the screenplay jersey? I know you already had one, Alex. Yeah, I, I bought I bought one. Just recently? In the I last wanted week? To, yeah, I, I bought it yesterday because I wanted to, to reread it. You wanted to do research. Yeah. Incredible. I did some research for this. I want you that did? to be, in, in case I'm not making that uh, painfully okay. clear. I did some. I, I will say about the the watching the. <laughs> so I mentioned the watching the gym teacher stretch. Mm-hmm. I prepared a list. We we don't have to go through it now, but I prepared a okay. list for this podcast of the top ten classroom scenes in margaret and okay. i put i put the stretching teacher scene at number 10 okay okay cool yeah you can announce them as we hit them in okay the, in and the, just okay. just so you know there are only 10 in the whole film okay <laughs> this will be oh, really yeah. fun for me i know you're number one. Oh, number one's easy yeah number one's easy but i, I do want to try and yeah, yeah i do want to try and guess as we go if there's a way in my notes i have it. combined some of the classroom scenes um just because there's not always a lot that happens so so there may be some fuzziness there but we'll go through it so what i think happened on this podcast is yeah we got scolded going out of order <laughs> and then uh-huh. kayla immediately goes from bus crash to ramon so i don't know yeah. who's well, because running this Mom. ship Okay, so once we hit mom, then it doesn't and matter what happens. It doesn't matter what happens in order. We gotta go, Ramon. It's more or less in order. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, just a lot okay. of this movie. Okay. The... <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> hey, it's your screen vomit. I'm just. <laughs> a lot of this 
the way that it's shown when I'm reading it back, it's like, whatever, one line of mom reading one line of her play. Okay, now we're back to, you know, mm-hmm. Anna Paquin again. Now we're back over here. Now we're back over there. So I've sure. combined a few things to make them make more sense when reading them back a little bit. But it's not that out of order. Well, I don't want to make things easy for people that have not seen Margaret <laughs> that are trying to follow this. So. <laughs> Okay, so next we're in class with Broderick. In the class with Broderick, needs to be mentioned, there's a cameo from Adam Rose from Veronica Mars, and I'm a Veronica Mars head, so I thought that was cool. I don't know who that is. You can edit that part out of the podcast. You've had somebody <laughs> from Veronica Mars in one of your stuff before, Ooh. in Breaking Good. I don't remember what the chick's name was. She's on an episode where she loses her dog of Veronica Mars, and when I saw her in Breaking Good, I said, wow, that's a chick from Veronica Mars. That's so cool. Okay, okay. I thought I should Veronica She's on Mars. two episodes. Okay. Okay, so Broderick, um, Broderick famously reads the Margaret poem that the movie is named after. That poem was introduced to the director by Broderick's mom, uh, IRL. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Do you also think it's interesting that Matthew Broderick killed someone with a car? Mm -hmm. Two people. So I think that that's interesting that they have him in this movie because he did kill in real life two people with a car and got away with it in the 80s. Do you think Kenneth Lonergan was like, my man, you got to play this bus driver. You were born to play this role. He was like, please, let me, please, let me be a teacher character. And he's like, no, I already have like seven different teacher characters. He's like, just add one more. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Do you think there was a discussion? I wonder. No, because I, I read that he wrote like all the roles for this movie for the specific actors. Not all the roles, but a lot of them. Yeah, that makes sense. So he probably wrote that teacher for Broderick. Yeah, that makes but- a lot more sense. It is kind of funny to have him in this movie with that context. Yeah. <laughs> and that he did get away with it back then, too. He had to pay a $175 fine. <laughs> well, did he do it on purpose? Well, what he says is that uh, he doesn't know. <laughs> he doesn't know if he did it on purpose? He went into the wrong lane in Ireland and says, I don't know why I was in the wrong lane, but there I was. And now two people are dead and I don't really know what happened. So... You know, solid alibi. Yeah. Seventy-five dollars. That sounds fair. Yeah. So I love money. that for him. Yeah. Do you think that because I have a question about the poem? This is an no. opinion question. Yes. Like because they re- they read they read the full poem in the movie. They do. And you you hear Matthew Broderick pronounce the name Margaret Margaret. Mm-hmm. Do you think you're supposed to say the the movie that way? Like, do you think the movie is called Margaret? Ooh. Ooh. Yes. Yes. You know, I think. I think. That? I think it's I called Margaret. I guess that that would make sense. Can we yeah. call it Margaret then for the rest okay. of the podcast? Okay. Let's work on it. That's literally the only way it's pronounced in the movie. Right, exactly. That's true. Margaret. Um, Jersey, I know you did a lot of research, mm-hmm. outside research for this. Do, do you have any research about this poem, what it means? Um, it's kind of a tough poem for me. It's a, Can you read it? Do you have it on, in a book right now? I do. I have it pulled up. <laughs> um, Margaret, are you grieving over Golden Grove unleaving Leaves like the thing of man you with fresh thoughts care for. Can you... Ah, as the heart grows older, it will come to such sights colder. By and by, nor spare a sigh. The worlds of Wanwood leaf meal lie. That's the confusing line for me. And yet you will weep and know why. No matter, child, the name, sorrows, springs are the same. Nor mouth had, nor mind expressed. What heart heard of ghost guest. It is the blight man was born for. It is Margaret you mourn for. My quick analysis would Are be you like clapping? The, yep. Thank you. You like my um, recitation? That was beautiful. 
I mean, the first line, okay, so also, sorry, the title of the poem is Spring and Fallen to a Young Child, which is mm-hmm. significant, right? So we know that this is addressed to a young child, and the first line is, Margaret, are you grieving? So we know that Margaret is the young child we're addressing. That's the opening line, final line of the poem, it is Margaret you mourn for. So it's effectively about, it's this declaration that Margaret, the, the both addressee and subject of the poem, is actually mourning for themselves, not these these reoccurring events of, of horror and tragedy as the leaves change, as death occurs, as change happens in life. The one kind of constant, you know, is the blight of man. And what, you know, what Hart heard of, ghost guest, like what she's unsure, what she's upset about, you know, we know in our heart of hearts, it's, it's the uh, meaninglessness <laughs> of life, the arbitrary nature of suffering, right? One of the kind of big reoccurring motifs in the film. There's no there's no meaning behind it. So, you know, Lisa, right, the kind of Margaret of this movie, uh, mm. is in fact crying for herself through the entire movie. It's insufferable in some ways um, that she's actually the, the, the object of all of her own pity. Right. She's not mourning this woman she saw die, which no. she didn't know. Mm-hmm. She's, you know, using it to, not using it like a malicious way, but she's just dealing with her own feelings about herself, the world, her mom, everything. Yeah. And so as the only, conflicts change, yeah. as it becomes about like a legal conflict, as it becomes about, you know, putting this, this Mark Ruffalo character behind jail, you know, like whatever the kind of main... Behind jail. Behind jail. Behind, behind jail. That's what they say in New York. Um, <laughs> no matter what the, what the conflict is, like she's always just upset about herself. But I think if I could reach, again, I just read this poem today, but uh, I think that there's, I think that there's sort of a wisdom in that. I think that the, the poem is sort of... Um, perhaps expressing that there's a sort of wisdom in our self-pity that our self-pity is actually pity for suffering and pity for the world and so maybe there's a maturity in that you know maybe it's inescapable you know we we're not the main characters of our own story but all we can really know is our own suffering and so if we mourn for ourselves we're mourning for everyone so maybe lisa's not so bad damn yes king wow yes (laughs) can we clap again I will say the scene where uh, Matthew Broderick reads Margaret mm-hmm. ranks number three in my rankings three. of the top ten classroom scenes of the film. Okay, <laughs> so I think I know what two is. I'm not going to jump on it, but I'm pretty sure I know what two is then. Also should be noted that the director and Matthew Broderick did IRL go to the same private school. And although the private school in the film is fictional, it's based closely off of their real experiences at the private school that they both went to, including a lot of what they call the excruciatingly progressive exchanges between students and teachers. So that was all just part of their real life that they wrote into this movie. I just thought that was interesting. That is, Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, it makes sense too. Is it like an Upper West Side school? Is mm-hmm. it, is it, okay. it was called Walden. Ah, like so. the famous pond. Yeah, the pond you may have heard of. Yeah. <laughs> I've been wanting to go to that pond recently. Yeah. <laughs> so next we meet Kieran Culkin <laughs> in the bathroom at a party doing coke. They have a little makeout scene, him and Paquin. He also gropes her, I think, in the longer one, and she tries to stop Does him. He? he goes, you're not serious. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Um, another change between the extended cut and the theatrical release is in this scene as well well in the music in the shorter cut 
the music that you hear is like in the background party music coming from the other room or whatever. Um, And in the extended cut, it's an orchestral overdub. In the extended cut, that is meant to help build that momentum of her story being part of an opera or whatever. I found that kind of clumsy. I thought that was really distracting in the extended cut. Yeah. I don't know, because it's I I saw the one that I loved first. So of course, I'm going to be more critical of the second one. But I remember noting that, that it was like Tosca or some Italian opera playing over the bathroom scene and being confused like why why is this yeah i'm, I'm going i'm going for uh, the diegetic party music i think we're on the yeah. same page here okay yeah, we all like to party mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and when she comes out of the bathroom she also finds the guy she went to the movies with uh professes her love to him Hell and yeah. they also kiss <laughs> the thing about lisa we give her a hard time she's complicated characters here are flaws mm-hmm. but she yeah. does straight up rock and we have to give it to her for doing that. Oh, yeah. She, she fucking rocks. Hell yeah. You know I love you, right? Oh, uh, yeah. no. Fucking, fucking virgin loser. A virgin loser who loves movies? Can't relate. No, he says I fucking hate the movies anyway, right? He doesn't yeah. even love movies. He's trying to be cool in that time. You can't take what he said. You have to take it's what he like did. One of, it's one of the only things we know about that character is that he hates movies. In one second goes from wanting to see a movie to hating all movies. Yeah, and not wanting a date to wanting a date. Like, who knows what's going on with this guy? Later in the movie, he's funny. Okay, weird. Okay, so the next part I think is with mom and daughter the mom throughout this movie is really not supportive of the daughter's like huge traumatic experience at all she's pretty absent and uh, sort of narcissistic centering herself and whatever's going on with her at all times even though her daughter has just like held a dying woman in her arms recently I don't think she's I that bad like this. you don't think so that bad I don't think she's that I think that's that's a, that's a really that's a those are some harsh words yeah you got so give me an example of when she is supportive uh, i mean it's not like a big scene but like when she comes home and uh, you immediately want to talk about ramon instead uh she does like go <laughs> to the room she like holds lisa i mean it, it's like it's like montage or it's like kind of moves on it's like mm-hmm. we're not gonna sit here while like she tells her mom what's going on and her mom holds her like we get it we're moving on to the next thing but, but it, she's there if you'll remember when she was at the scene of the accident her mom was called and did her mom go to the scene of the accident or did the doctor how did she get home covered in blood? She had to ride the bus home or ride the train home. Okay, we're making so many the, assumptions here. Are, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's useful. I mean, because she's, we don't know how far away she. They, they cross that same crosswalk. Presumably, if the bus is you're at north, home, south, you like, get a phone call from the police that your daughter has held a woman who was dying and is now dead, who was missing limbs in her arms, and your your teenage daughter, and you're like. That's cool. I'll see her later when she gets home and hang up the but phone. But they might live like two blocks away is the thing. Like, right. I she think she that, was already walking home. She's, yeah. She's, she's, <laughs> on the, she's on the Upper West Side. She crosses that street multiple times a day. Like uh-huh. that's, I think that's, that she's close to home. She just walks home. Also, we don't even know if she got the call. This is the show. No, they say. Phone? They say. They say your mom was contacted. They definitely do say that. Um, because look. when she's answering questions, giving her statement, yeah. she says, I want my mom. And they say your mom was contacted. I think you're putting so much on <laughs> this moment that is she i'm not saying she's a perfect mom but i don't get the impression that she's like like you know she's they're going through a hard time like lisa's a teenager she's not really opening up to her mom but guess what when she leaves the movies and goes hangs out with her like her mom invites her out hey come hang out with me and my yeah. friends have a good time with 
our actor friends and then she's laughing with her that mom like i'm gonna mm-hmm. allow that like i didn't really think about that or notice mm-hmm. the mom's absence from the police debrief of the accident i don't know if that was just for dramatic purposes it is sort of important for the story that the mom not be there right so maybe that's we can just kind of give that some allowance as a screenwriting thing but i mean you're being pretty tough on this uh, single <laughs> mom like working you know like mm-hmm. she has a career in the city and she's just like two kids and she's doing it all by herself like let's give her a break this movie does have a kind of absent kind of shitty parent yeah so i don't know why you're going in <laughs> on the mom here I, I think if there's someone that we we haven't target, gotten to the dad yet we haven't, yeah. we, we've barely touched on okay so dad. out of all the parents mentioned so far she's the worst one okay i agree out of, <laughs> neither are great out of the mom well, like, she's the worst one so far <laughs> when she comes in the room and she's like do i look fat uh i have a new boyfriend i'm worried about i have a play i'm worried about she doesn't even ask about her about herself really I mean, she does she's trying to engage with lisa I, you know what? I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to the text because <laughs> yeah. I think that scene is incredible. I love that's yeah, maybe maybe scene. the best scene in the movie. Actually, Let's that see is here. the scene in in the Roger Ebert review of the re-release of the film. He actually just yeah. posts that inter- a transcript of the first half of that scene like, yeah. from the screenplay. He's like, even off the screen, even on the page, just look at how well this scene reads, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is sort of interesting. I, I don't you know, think they I've both seen got that their books. Interesting. Going through. <laughs> I mean, I did like this scene. I'm not saying I didn't like it. I'm just saying the mom is rude. She's rude. Okay. She's rude. Okay. <laughs> I mean, she I'm does. Not, I get, she does call selfish. her daughter a cunt. She does call her yes. daughter a cunt. That mm-hmm. does happen. She mm-hmm. is a little strident, like other characters are sometimes. But... <laughs> I mean, they call each other names in that scene. I will say the mom's wrong for saying it first. I will. I will give Lisa mm-hmm. a point there. I feel like there's such honesty in that. Like there's such yeah. vulnerability in seeing like the mom make that kind of mistake. You know. I mean, it's. Again, like, it's hard. Like, Mm -hmm. I think she's doing a great job. Okay, so I'm going to the page, right? So, so again, this is, this is days after, this is days after the incident, right? She's already talked to her daughter about it. Uh She's just like, hey, this is just make me look fat. She's trying to, and Lisa's being like, oh, you both have your screenplays open. You could just do the scene. Oh, give me the page. Well, I want to, I want to, uh, 89. (laughs) I'm just saying. Lisa is being dis- Call your she's, character. She's being rude. She's making fun of her mom for like in the opera. I I would like to be uh I would like to be Lisa. Okay. Because right, I want to see because I want to see Jersey do the withdrawn line. Oh yeah, that's uh, that's up. That's like one of my favorite lines. I think. Okay. Hey, uh, does this dress make me look fat? Um, a little. Well, there's nothing I can do about it. Where are you going? The opera. Why are you going to the opera? It turns out he's a really big opera fan. Anyway, do you think it's... Don't you think it's kind of fun? We should all go sometime. Um, no thanks. Why not? I bet you'd like it. I don't like that kind of singing. But you like classical music. Yes, that's true, but I don't like opera singing. But when have you ever... It's like their entire reason for existing is to prove how loud they can be. And I don't really find that all that interesting. Yeah, I know what you mean. But it's not all like that. You like the magic flute. Okay, I guess I'm wrong. I guess I do like opera singing. I just didn't realize it. What is the matter with you? Nothing at all. Why are you pushing this? I don't want to go to the opera. Yes, okay. It's called an invitation. I'm not pushing anything. All you have to say is no thanks. I did, and you were like, why not? So then I told you, and you started, like, debating me. Like, you assume I've never thought this through for myself, which I have many times. Okay, well, that was really contemptuous, like a really contemptuous assumption on my part. I don't actually like the opera that much myself, but I'm trying to expand my mind. Maybe that's wrong. I'm sorry. 
I guess I'm a little nervous about you guys meeting Ramon. Why? What's the big deal? Why are you so influenced by what me and Curtis think? What Curtis and I think? <laughs> I like that part too, where she corrects herself, <laughs> corrects her grammar. Well, can we, can we discuss this as we're reading it? Because this yeah. is just, this is just, uh, I mean, Lisa's being a little snot to her mom. And her yeah. mom's trying to be, your mom's being like, hey, one of the opera, maybe we should go. Wouldn't that be fun? I'm trying well, to like, Italian now? hey, what's the deal? Let's go. <laughs> she's trying to like, yeah, she's nervous about this guy that's literally showing up in two seconds. But I mean, uh-huh. I don't know. She's, I think she's being a fine mom right now. I want to say though that I, I'm reading this scene kind of holding Kayla's perspective in my mind and I kind of like it. Like I'm, <laughs> I am, I am seeing the, the sort of absolute irony of her being like like when she tries to reset the mood of the conversation and tone it down you know and she's like okay you're right i'm just a little stressed out i guess i'm just really nervous what you guys will think of ramon again like of all the things happening in their lives that that's the kind of that's the thing that she's nervous about i mean i i do think that maybe there's a little bit of there's some blinders on joan in terms of what's happening with her daughter I think that kind of makes me like the movie even more. I still love Joan, but mm-hmm. uh, I do think that maybe she's maybe she's missing some shots here as a mm-hmm. mother. She's centering herself and centering her own what's going on with her and kind of forgetting about this huge issue going on with her daughter. Yeah, I can only assume that I would do the same thing if I were a single mother working in the theater in New York City in 2003. Sounds like mm-hmm. it's a tough. It, it's, it's complicated because like it's, it's like Lisa thinks it's fine. Like Lisa's acting like it's normal. I mean, I was listening to another Kenneth Lonergan interview, and he was talking mm-hmm. about how one way to like create conflict in like a story is uh, the main character is right, everyone else is wrong, and they just create obstacles, and it's uh, boring that way. And I think mm-hmm. that's it's really important to remember that, or at least for me, because I because I, I could fall into that trap sometimes writing and yeah there's never like one scene where someone's right someone's wrong someone's clearly uh, complicated and that's kind of that's what uh what ebert likes about that same scene is that um he's sort of in love with this idea that it's impossible to just make a simple point or get across a simple idea in conversation that there's always so many landmines and there's always so many obstacles to just communication in real life and it's such a beautiful example of that like she wonders if she looks okay in her dress she is focused on the date right now but like circumstances prevent that from being the main subject of this interaction with her daughter and it's just like you can just never have the interaction that you're designing to have with someone because there's going to be some other trauma happening that's going to take precedence especially with family i don't know it's just such a real kind of family moment also important Mm -hmm. to note that this family is uh half jewish Mm -hmm. and i bring that up because it is rosh hashanah shanatova and uh, my parents are stopping by right now to drop off some food unexpectedly. So I need to stop for just a few minutes. I'll just get the food, say hi. Okay. They're on their way home. They're not going to actually visit. Okay. Are you back, Alex? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. How are your folks? Uh, I just saw my dad briefly. He seemed nice. He seemed, he doing... seemed, he he seemed nice. nice. He seemed friendly. <laughs> <laughs> he seemed like he was, you know. Um, Do you think your parents would like Margaret? Yes. Mm, yeah. Somewhat. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, are we ready to jump back? Oh, yeah. Um, Okay, so the next big chunk, maybe one of my fave parts of the movie, and I think y'all will probably agree, Kieran's section. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, without without a question. The scene starting with him tossing a book and saying, this is the dumbest book I've ever read. (laughs) I I love that so much. (laughs) It's so good. Loved. That's not in the long cut. That's not in the three-hour version. Inexplicably, really? yeah. Um, because that was incredible. <laughs> I know. That was the moment that I was like, oh, I prefer the two and a half hour. A lot version. of big comedy in this little like five to ten minutes or whatever. 
Um, and that was certainly one part of it. Anna calls him. This is the dumbest book I've ever read. Yo. Hey, Paul. Hey. It's Lisa Cohen. Yeah, how's it going? Okay. So, I was just thinking... This is gonna sound really queer, but... By any chance, would would you want to meet somewhere and, like, take away my virginity? Um, all right. <laughs> Which is just an incredible to, uh, Do I owe this inexplicable honor? Or what is he saying? Yes, something like that. <laughs> that is definitely a sound clip I pulled. <laughs> because it's too fucking funny. And then when he's about to come over, in between their phone call and him getting to her house, her movie's boyfriend calls. And she's kind of like, I don't want to talk. And then when they hang up, he's just crying, like big sobs. That was also hilarious. It's a really good impression of uh, Jersey at the end of Margaret. (laughs) Did me dirty on that one. (laughs) Had to. Hey, it's okay to cry, um, but it can be funny. Sorry. I love crying. I think crying is hilarious. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it certainly can be. So when Kieran comes over, they do do sex, and uh, he comes instantly incredible. Yeah, he's like, he's like, I'm about to put a condom on. He's like, don't you want to put a condom on? He's like, oh, I will in a moment. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> he rocks. As soon as he thinks about a condom, he comes. Huh. <laughs> like most men do. Huh? Yeah, he's just really into condoms, you know, it really does it for him. Yeah, mentioning condoms is the only thing that gets me horny. <laughs> I love I love the exchange before uh, they do the deed yeah. where he just comes over and starts looking at the bookshelf. Mm-hmm. And right away, Lisa's like, my mom hasn't read any of these. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, have you? And it's like, damn, damn, oh, got I, have, I have a question, maybe if either of you guys know this, because he says, oh, this is a really good book and pulls one of the books off the shelf. Uh-huh. But we don't see what the book is. They say something about the Third Reich or something. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so is it, is it supposed to be like a like Mein Kampf or something? Let's like, go to the he... text. Let's find right. out. Oh, yeah, I forgot to also say um, when you were talking about being Jewish that the director is also half Jewish, as yes. is uh, Anna Paquin's character. So The book is called work. The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. Oh, it's like a history book. This book is a very cool book, <laughs> he says. <laughs> <laughs> His whole character, I just love. He's so much fun. Yeah. Yeah, Lisa likes him too. And I think she says something like that in the longer cut. She's like, how come everything you say is like so ironic automatically and so funny? She does also say that she loves him when they're fucking. Yes. Very important. Oh, been there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, brag. (laughs) Alex has had sex. Gross. Oh, yeah. I have another question about that scene. There's a part where he's like, there are certain technical difficulties on my end that have to yeah. be addressed if this is going to work. I think mm-hmm. that's probably pretty close to the text. Yeah. What what do you what is he referring to exactly? I I feel like I'm missing it or is he talking about his erection? Like he's yeah, worried about he's losing not, his erection? He's not but, fully hard and he's like touching himself to get himself hard. He's like talking to her for a while, telling her what's gonna happen. And then he's like, Okay, but let me first just give me a second. And he just... Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, but so which is it? Like, is he he's ready to come in three seconds or like he can't get a heart on? It's a weird... To me, that, it's not that makes not a both. ton of sense. It's not that he <laughs> can't get a heart on. He just wasn't hard in that moment because he was just explaining to her about like, oh, this is going to kind of hurt. Then you'll be fine. Da, da, da. But, he, but, he, but he comes like three seconds later. Like, it's like he can't stop himself from coming. Yes. He got know, himself hard and he came. 
Jersey. It's like, <laughs> he got himself hard. That moment struck. He got himself like, hard. He stuck his dick in her tight little teenage pussy, and he no! came. <laughs> what do you not understand? Look, guys, he pumped I mean, her I've... full of cum, and she got pregnant, and it became an abortion movie. What is the question? <laughs> do you Look, know how sex works, Jersey? I've, I've had sex before. I know. <laughs> I know the way it's supposed to work. I can you can that... you call Anna back in here? I have some questions for her. <laughs> so what's the question? Is there still like, a question? Do you understand guess, how sex works now? I guess my question was when a man does... loves a woman very yeah, like, much. What, is, what happens in that scene? It's kind of it's in like silhouette. I can't really see what's happening. Like what are they doing? Are they like reading together? Or, like, why is she like mad at him, but also like? still likes him or what's going on <laughs> well he does have a girlfriend too so there's like some drama that's a really funny mm-hmm. line yeah she brings out the girlfriend mm, yeah let me I have to find a page uh this podcast five stars they really just they really just spent three hours flipping through the margaret screenplay and just reading the lines <laughs> they like <laughs> hey y'all are the one like, making that decision not me so <laughs> they really they really started reading that one scene as if it was a play and stopped in the middle before the scene got really good <laughs> I'm I'm over worrying about funny, like why though. why this could possibly be uninteresting to a general audience. First of all, Kayla says that it works, so that's like, yeah. fine. Don't worry about the you. audience. Yeah. But also like I keep coming back to the idea that maybe the audience for this is me because I would love th- I would love to listen to this just like people Thank you. Um, going through and, and reading. Part. But that's because I'm a Margaret head uh, now. <laughs> Did you hurt yourself on that one? <laughs> yeah, I kind of like I had to like slam on the brakes a little bit. <laughs> I think you broke a tooth just getting that word out of your mouth. <laughs> Margaret, it's great because you do have to kind of, it turns the G into this totally different thing. Yeah. Maybe you puke a little when you say it. Margaret. <laughs> um, okay, so that's the end of their sex scene. Oh, the funeral gathering is next at Janie's friend's house. And the building where this woman lives is actually a building where the director grew up in. Uh, on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. So that's kind of interesting. I don't know if there's much to say about this funeral. That's really the, it goes from the virginity scene to the funeral. That's that's interesting. Yeah, in the, in the three hour, they had that scene that I don't think is necessary, but I do like it. The theater scene where they talk to the, like he makes everyone hug. Oh, yeah. Or he's like, everyone's just kind of, talk out your problems with people i mean it's great because you get more you get more kieran culkin you get more kieran culkin you get more of that that other kid but uh, unfortunately it's number nine on my list of the top 10 easy like lose that lose that whole sequence of course it's amazing that at any point in the the, this movie was delayed for so many years and someone's like we got to keep that fucking theater (laughs) kid scene like that's integral to understanding the characters like movies so much better without it yeah i think part of why he wanted it to be longer too was almost for the sake of it being long because he just wanted people to feel like they were living this girl's life with her and so that it could be slow and long and also I mean I read a thing from like Scorsese saying that like he felt like the project kind of took over this guy's mind to where he could no longer be normal about it (laughs) or make any (laughs) rational decision I'm paraphrasing, but more or less, like, that's kind of what he said, that he couldn't see clearly anymore. This project just, like, had him all tied up. So, you know, that can happen. That must have hurt coming from the director of Hugo. And it's like, wow, (laughs) (laughs) you really know how to hold a project in your head. He's like, I've been there. (laughs) But yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's the other thing that's, like, the big thing about the movie is that every movie is just, oh, here's a person's normal life. 
crazy thing happens. Now they go on a journey. They go on an adventure. They go do this thing, right? It's mm-hmm. like she's immediately back at school, back doing chores. We got to just l- live her life with her as all this other stuff is happening. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, that's, I don't know. I don't think there's a lot of movies like that, if any. Yeah, there's got to be some, but none coming to mind at the moment. No, because every studio <laughs> know it. It's like, um, okay, uh, so we start this movie in high school with this teenager. Uh, he witnesses a murder and he's on the run from the whatever. Uh, but why do you have this scene where he's like, back in school for a minute <laughs> like we don't need that <laughs> let's keep the story moving forward what's the name of the movie we watched last night alex um a, a brighter summer day a brighter summer day yeah on the car ride home i was i was talking about how all the ways in which a brighter summer day is similar to uh, <laughs> margaret like they're both these kind of um long form coming of age stories you right. know brighter summer day is four hours long and it has a similar kind of like you know, there are central dramas that you could describe as like traditional plot points in a movie, but they they often take a backseat to just the kind of like portraiture of the youths in the film. Mm-hmm. And it does give it a kind of like real time authenticity. Uh, also, you know, there's a character gets hit by a bus. It's one of the central pieces of violence. There's one of those like these, these pieces of these huge, huge violent traumas kind of pinning the, the otherwise mundane um, status quo daily life routines of these characters. and Yeah, A Brighter Summer Day is also based on a real murder that happened in Taiwan, and this is based on Matthew Broderick's real life. Mm-hmm. Right. Actually, <laughs> um, the bus accident in this movie was based on someone the director knew, something oh, that shit. happened to someone Whoa, that uh, really? he knew. Yeah, I forgot to say that when we were there, but that is Damn. true. Heavy. Yeah. Also, both, both films involve uh, high school students um, having affairs with older men. Nasty. But I guess that's just like a co- 90s coming of age thing. I don't know. That's like a, I feel like it's a trope. I think uh, it's not only a trope. I think it is actually reality, unfortunately. <laughs> like, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps it's an actual issue in life. <laughs> Maybe not necessarily with teachers specifically but maybe more like, like film professors okay <laughs> but i think it is pretty common for like high school aged girls especially to have uh relationships with older men i wouldn't know don't come at me uh don't listen to our baby teeth episode um, but yeah it is a common thing and we can talk about something else now, which is um, when she goes to well, Mark she has Ruffalo's to, house. Well, hold on. Well, yeah, she she starts being active about this, right? So it's not just that she goes to the whatever the wake. She's struggling whatever the procession. with her She's, guilt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she starts calling the police. She has to call the cousin, and that's a funny phone call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then she tracks down this Emily lady that's holding this. Uh, the funeral. Yeah, which is really get nice. together. Yeah. yeah, it was a nice get together. She also talks to her mom and her dad and all these people struggling with that she lied to the police in her police report that she said the light was green when the bus drove through it but it actually was red and she knows it was red and now she feels real guilty about what happened Mm -hmm. so she's just kind of polling people to say should I talk to the cops or not and her next step on that journey is going to Mark Ruffalo's house but he's a tough Brooklyn guy and he's also not willing to confront like what happened at all it seems like he's not willing to take responsibility for what happened at all and he gaslights her about her experience with the stoplight he stopped gaslights i mean i don't know if this counts as <laughs> gaslighting i feel like society he says what you experience isn't real he, he is lying i will say he is lying <laughs> he is defending himself but i don't think he is actively mm-hmm. trying to make her think she's insane if i remember he's like i don't know what you're talking about 
I, I, did I talk to you? Did I give you a look? I don't know what you're talking about. He, deni- he denies. He said, I never looked at you. I've never seen you. Who are you? What is a stoplight? Never drove a bus. <laughs> don't know where. <laughs> As a society, we can't just say gaslight every time somebody lies. <laughs> well, We I have a word for lying. It's called lying. <laughs> specifically, he's trying to convince her that her part of reality is not real. And I think that is part of gaslighting, true or false. I think he's. Just, I think he's just denying it. It, it, it. She says, "Hey, you did this." He says, "No, I didn't." That's not mm-hmm. him being like, "Oh, your reality isn't." Re-. That's he, he's denying. I don't. I, I. I'm gonna have to defend Mark Ruffalo's character here, the good bus driver, okay. union guy on Labor Day. We're talking about this on Labor Day, and uh-huh. a big part of the movie is that he is in the bus union. So yeah. I don't think we need to besmirch him and call him a gaslighter, especially when he has this cool wife. She rocks. <laughs> yeah, his wife is really cool. She's a yeah. she's a real ball breaker. Yeah, yeah. I like their I, their relationship is great. Yeah, I love that she like she lets Lisa use the the bathroom when he doesn't want to want her to use the bathroom. Mm-hmm. I really like that detail. She's like let 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 the girl use the bathroom. You know, well, you always worry when a stranger comes to your house and says, "Can I use the bathroom?" You think, "Is it a number two? What's going to happen <laughs> with the pipes?" Like you never know. Yeah, I so. don't like the longer cut had a shot of her in the bathroom. I don't need that. <laughs> I know Jersey like that. It had a I like that. Toilet I did can. like the, the, yeah, there's like a weird high angle. From like, inside the toilet? Know. Well, she's like, <laughs> I mean, just the surreality of the moment. She's like yeah. in the, the man's house, you know, mm-hmm. peeing and she's like hearing them, family shouting at one another. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a little, if anything, it's too traditional. It's like, oh, she had, we get this moment of her like breathing heavy and thinking like, am I doing, am I, should I be doing this? Should I be here? Mm-hmm. But I, should I, I, I pee I here? Was, should I pee here? Should mm-hmm. I poo here? What am I doing in this bathroom? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So can I ask, the, wait, we can ask yeah. a question. Okay. Uh-huh. So let's play out this scenario. You Lisa, act out another scene. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, I, I want you to act it out <laughs> me. with <Okay>. me. <laughs> I'm Lisa. Well, you're uh, Mark Ruffalo, the bus driver. Okay. okay so okay. I I come to your I come to your home and I'm saying, uh, hey, let's go to the police. Let's tell the police what happened. Hey, fuck the police. <laughs> Not yet. You don't know the whole, you don't know the whole scenario oh, okay, yet. You don't know where we're. Okay. I got excited to be. This is a new CB here. Okay, this is serious stuff. <laughs> I'm saying let's go to the police. Let's tell them what all the stuff that mm-hmm. Lisa's saying in the movie. Okay, and you, mm-hmm. you still have the same point of view that Mark Ruffalo has of there is no fucking like I'm. The police already said this was an accident. There's no fucking way of opening this up. I'm not uh-huh. getting into any trouble anymore. I'm, I'm thinking about myself, my family. I'm worried, whatever, right? Yeah. Same thing. But this time, don't gaslight me. What do you say? <laughs> <laughs> what, is the non, what is the version of this that's only lying or denying? What is the non-gaslight version? Hmm. He would say, like, you're right. I did have a cowboy hat, and I was looking very cute. I can see why you were distracted looking at me in my hat cute hat however what happened was a simple traffic accident could happen to anyone uh when i the last time i looked at the light boy was green so no but you were looking know. at me remember you were looking right at me instead <laughs> so of how driving did you even see the how did how did you even see the light because you were too busy checking out me and my gorgeous hat this is this feels way more gaslighting. Yeah. This feels like a, an insane mind game <laughs> now yeah, you're, you're trying like to convince me i didn't yeah. even see the light <laughs> But he, I'm he's agreeing saying, that you did see my hat. Okay, but in the in the actual film, <laughs> he says, "Hey, you told the police whatever you want." So he's not denying she saw a red I like light. When he's you're not. Mark he's not uh, you have a good I impression. Just, I think you're gaslighting me right now as your guest. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you know, we'll have to put up a second poll. <laughs> I, I would love a gaslighting poll. Yeah. <laughs> I think that there's also, I think we could also say that um, maybe, can we say that he perhaps is gaslighting, but can we acknowledge <laughs> that gaslighting in this scenario, if the whole movie were redone from Mark Ruffalo's character's perspective, like that's mm-hmm. a pretty good technique. Like that's what else... <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't you do that? Like, wouldn't what? What else would you say? Would like, oh, I need to acknowledge that what she believes is true. No, you would. Like, your job is on the line. Your life is on the line. Like, I need to make this girl think that she's nuts. Like, what a great smart character. Mm. He's also a pro at at dealing with this scenario because what we find out later is that this is the third time he's been in an accident on duty so right. he seems to have a method that works for him whether or not as it's someone gaslight. that regularly gets into car accidents i, I, I relate to him i absolutely someone that regularly gaslights women i love gaslighting women <laughs> <laughs> my number one thing you a big car accident head i'm a big car accident <laughs> gaslighting head <laughs> me too unfortunately <laughs> As far as the car accidents go. I love driving into women and being like, why did you drive into me? (laughs) (laughs) Why did you hit my car with your body, idiot? (laughs) Okay, so so after Ruffalo, she gets nothing from the scenario with Ruffalo besides him being upset and her being upset. She goes back to Janny's friend and they decide that she is going to go to the cops and amend her original statement. They pretty much say that because of the laws, if she changes her statement, it doesn't really matter or change anything that he still gets away with what he's done. Because as y'all said, it ain't Moida. I, I think that's <laughs> I think that's my favorite cop in all of movies. That's what yeah. I was talking about. I just think he's a, I just, uh, I'm just a fan of this cop. The, the regular cop or the rude one who's in when the other guy hasn't gotten there yet? The rude one is my second favorite cop in all of okay. movies. <laughs> okay, okay. That calls her honey. I think he... Yeah. What do you mean? You close the case. You don't close the case. The DA's <laughs> so office closes stupid. the case. <laughs> it's rock. Such an idiot. Yeah. Well, I'm not Those saying I like, literally close the case. Uh, I mean, oh, are you I, acting out the scene again? I, I'm just thinking. <laughs> I think you're glossing over. I mean, you're not glossing over what? plot points, but I think like yeah, when you say the plot points, it sounds like elaborate any movie. when you want. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm just I'm just like when we go through these scenes in my head, I'm just remembering all these moments where it's just like just Mark Ruffalo gets so mad and he's like, "Give me your phone number. What's your phone number? How come you can contact me? I can't call you." And then yeah. there's there's Emily when she's like going to police. She's like, "What about your mom? Shouldn't you tell your mom talk to your mom first? Go with your mom." And then mm-hmm. I don't know, just all these. Little, but her mom's famously absent, so she ain't bringing her mommy. Mo- mother is not absent. Mother wants to be involved. In fact, mother has that meeting later with Emily. Uh, In which she she goes with the purpose of figuring out more about what's going on with her daughter. That's like the intention of their meeting yeah. between the friend and her daughter and her. But what she does the entire time is talk about her own play instead. So she still is being Man, self-centered. You have, you have it out for this. You're, <laughs> you're, I think you're, uh, and maybe I'm using this term incorrectly, I think you're gaslighting this mom <laughs> character. <laughs> but i guess i guess what i'm just saying is it's like i think i don't know the magic of this movie just lies in just little moments just every just every moment every interaction every Mm -hmm. piece of dialogue it just feels so unbelievably real but also unexpected and funny and it's just like how do you figure out every single line of dialogue that is incredibly grounded and the most unexpected Mm-hmm. And I feel like the same way in like, what, did you end up watching uh, Manchester by the Sea? No. Okay, well, uh, no spoilers, but it's just, you know, it's like the the plot of that movie in a lot of ways is just like, you read it and it's like, sure, that's a plot of just any movie. A uh, guy starts having to take care of kid. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, that's every movie. Uh, but it's just like, I don't know, just every detail, like really, it, it, 
Kenneth Lonergan just really knows when to linger on these mundane things and like really get into the specifics of like, okay, now we're really getting into the specifics of like law and like police procedure mm-hmm. and just all these. And uh, to flesh out a moment, just yeah, yeah. all these pleasures, all these, like, I'm just now I'm just thinking of uh, Ramon just like on the date, like not knowing what to say, just asking the mom, do you think Lisa would also like to act? It's just like, yeah, that's just questions people ask people when they don't know what to say. And it's just, yeah, it's the, it's the craft of, writing really i mean like the this cop scene that we're talking about mm-hmm. that you're inflating so much and giving so much you know it's it's that scene as a note card like you know lisa goes in and a cop gives her a tough time you know and he he's kind of a jerk and then she gets to see the real cop that doesn't the scene you imagine when you read just the description of that scene is nothing like the experience of watching that scene all of the nuance in that exchange and all of the conflict and all of the humor and the tension it's a uh, it's craft. Like, it's all in the details, as Alex says. Like, I think that's a really good example of a scene that is, this is such a cliche, but it's way greater than the sum of its parts, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. I think a lesser filmmaker, but I mean, I mean, every story needs different things, but like, I feel like how many movies are, there's one teacher. Like, okay, we see this person's life, and then, oh, here's the one teacher we see at school, and here's the one cop they deal with here, here's the one doctor, where it's like, this movie just has like, oh, here's four teachers she deals with. Now she has to deal with a second cop for zero yeah. plot purpose before dealing with like the main cop. But there's this awesome, to. like when the main cop comes in at the end of that scene and is like, oh, is this asshole giving you, you know, a hard time? <laughs> the way that just totally <laughs> turns the entire drama of that scene on its ear and just like knocks the Jenga blocks from the bottom and like just completely erases the stakes. I think that's so fun and interesting yeah. and like real uh, but also so stylish and funny yeah i can agree with all yeah. of everything everything you say you say sure yeah okay sure yeah i give it two stars i give it two stars this movie's insufferable yes this is perfect craft fun to watch it's just like a blast all the way through two stars it sounds like you love this movie <laughs> i think there's things i love about it and i stand by that yeah there's things i love about it <laughs> you've, you've called it unusual uh, two or three times, which is which is I think we can all agree it's an incredibly unusual movie structurally, mm-hmm. tonally. I called it a chimera after we watched it, and Alex made fun of me for using the word chimera. I don't even know what, what that, that means. Yeah. It's like a it's like a beast that's made up of other parts of other beasts, you know, from mythology. Like it has I don't remember. It's got like a like a dragon. Why don't you tail just say a... Why don't you just say big beast like a normal person? Okay, big right, like a normal person would be like this. This movie is kind of like a big beast made up of a bunch of weird it's animal parts. It's like when parts. the Power Rangers get together to the big Power Rangers. Yeah, the, yeah I understand that's... that because yeah, right. every different department has to get into their little anim- anamorphic yeah. robot thing right. to get together. Yeah. Well, you know, okay, fair. Maybe maybe pa- this is like a real power, but I don't know power. Power Rangers implies something else to me. I, I think Chimera is messier. That's if you picture a Chimera, you know, like that's way more of like Debating a flawed the differences beast, between like... a Chimera and a okay, Megatron. Here's, here's the difference. Here's the difference. <laughs> if you say this is like a Chimera, everyone's like, Ugh, we don't know what that word means. Like, <laughs> go on. If you say this is like a Power Ranger, everyone's like, interesting. Go on. So it still like leads to the same conversation, but you're gonna get so many. You're gonna get so much like angry mail from all the normals that are like you know feel their intelligence is being insulted by this. Like if everyone knows what a chimera is, like I I think the the normals the normals know what a chimera is. But who are you talking to, Jersey? It really feels like you're not concentrating. (laughs) 
there's withdrawn. no scholars in this zone besides you. <laughs> Just concentrate. <laughs> um, okay, so what's next? Um, they want to file a wrongful death suit. They decide against that, right? Because nothing would happen to Ruffalo still. Really, um, Anna Paquin's character is kind of dead set on Ruffalo suffering. That's a really important point that... Mm-hmm. That's kind of that's what happens in you said she gets sort of nothing out of the Ruffalo scene, the interaction. Mm-hmm. But what we know is Besides that, that she wants him to suffer. Right. Like somehow that interaction and I get that it's frustrating. He's gaslighting her. But that exchange <laughs> with this like, you know, Brooklyn dad with like his, his wife and his kids yelling in the background. She's like, I have to destroy this man. Like that's the scene. She that, really like, wanted to commiserate with her. him. Yeah. She yeah, wanted to commiserate with him and like relate to him that we both have this guilt and this like. She wanted him to pain, and he he's yes. not having it. Yeah. Well, she wanted him to fall into into line in her in her in the script of her life. You know, like she mm-hmm. wanted him to play the role of the supporting character. You know, in the drama of her being a part of this tragic death. You know, and the fact that he's not allowing that storyline to progress. You know, that he's going to to instead be her antagonist mm-hmm. changes her role in her own story, and now her he refuses role is, to is yes the destroyer. And. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's it all comes back to like her, you know, just just refusing to live in 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 a plural society. Like she has mm-hmm. to she has to be the the in avenging angel. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, this movie is very <laughs> much in this like. I mean, this, her coming of age is also a lot of like just understanding the world and like how things are fair, unfair, and she's just hoping to find justice. And it's like in the classroom scenes. If I can go back to my classroom scene list. Yes, go on. <laughs> go on or go off. I mean, I, I might go off. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, my, I didn't say, we talked about this, but I put this at number two, the, when she talks about the president's corruption, mm-hmm. and she raises salient points, and I put this at number eight, the, the first 9-11 argument kind of scene, mm-hmm. there's a funny line about the teacher calling it censorship, but it's like, she's just so confident in her worldview, and it's like, and as the movie goes on, and it's like, it's just nothing seems fair things are too black and white she can't even like she can't even punish this guy that she saw kill someone with her own Mm -hmm. eyes and it's it builds up to like what i put at number four classroom scene the last one we see i think which is she's it starts with someone making a point why teenagers should be president or something stupid and then it like Mm -hmm. it just jumps into like another middle eastern argument and she's just like screaming about how they like to turn the twin towers just talking about palestinians and then it's like one of like one of the girls in class is like who are you even talking about and then the other kid that's really funny screaming like there's so many other people in the class <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, and she gets thrown out of the class and it's just she uh she just really it's tough you know you really we really got nothing in this world it's like we can't even grasp anything yeah she's really she has a lot of convictions doesn't have a lot of like worldly knowledge necessarily maybe and is learning that like she can't make things happen just to like appease her own personal sense of justice like things just happen in certain ways sometimes and whatever she thinks is right or wrong is not necessarily going to work out for her (laughs) or whatever she references this uh george bernard shaw play called man and superman when she says when she's talking to her dad she says you know i don't want to turn this into just like my own moral playground and he's like oh that's from a shaw and she doesn't even know like what he's referencing that mm. she's like absorbed this play uh, at some other point like she has some awareness of of what she's doing you know in terms of 
uh, trying to make everything about like her own fickle argument or her own moral argument. Mm-hmm. So when she finds out that pretty much the wrongful death suit will not have any consequence on Ruffalo, her and Janie's friend and the lawyer are all out to lunch and they all have ordered salads and then they get to angrily eat salad, which I just thought was kind of funny. Great scene. That's uh, one of my favorite lawyer characters on the film. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, used to, I used to think when I watched the other day that the other lawyer they get after is my favorite lawyer character in all film. But mm-hmm. then I remembered marriage story and mm, all those lawyers oh my god uh well i think ray liotta and mary you can Story's spoil it for one me lawyer. if you want I uh, they, get, they, watch it. they get divorced doesn't work out <laughs> uh, and then <laughs> but then i remember my cousin Vinny. all the lawyers you got the mm. stuttering lawyer you got too many good lawyers so i think yeah. i'll i'll stick with my best cop character of all time but i'm gonna have to withhold best mm-hmm. lawyer character of all we'll time we'll have to work on a best lawyer list yeah, yeah. it's gonna take some time and after they angrily eat salad right after that is when we're back in broderick's class and there's a kid who's like challenging his okay that's that's what we're here Mm -hmm. for this is what everyone listening to this podcast is like (laughs) when are they gonna get to the scene where matthew broderick argues this is number one this is number one on my classroom scene list maybe number one on my Margaret scene list. Um, Margaret. Mm-hmm. Margaret scene list. Uh, mm-hmm. This is uh, this is just. I mean, Jersey did the research on this we, with the Lear, so please take it away, Jersey. <laughs> okay. What can, should we we should summarize it for the listeners since sure. apparently this is for Go people ahead. that haven't seen the movie. So this is another this is another mo- uh, scene where Matthew Broderick's character is teaching King Lear to his students, and they're discussing apart from King Lear. Oh uh, yeah, it's from Act Four. Gloucester is blind and dying, and he says, As flies to wanton boys are we to the gods, they kill us for their sport. And I think he, like, right at he, like, pauses and says, They kill us for their sport. <laughs> what, are you, what, is, what is Shakespeare saying by that? Lisa. And I think Lisa says something like, I think it's self-evident. Or she doesn't well, first comments. she says, I don't know, and Matthew Rodgers says... <laughs> That's not good enough, Lisa. Yeah, right. <laughs> Shakespeare wrote something. Shakespeare have a reaction. wrote something. Yeah, yeah. I like that too. And then she says it's self-evident, right? Or she says it's it's, mm-hmm. it's yeah. obvious. And then another character, another student explains the the obvious meaning of what Matthew. This, by the way, is you know what's called like a like an underhand toss to your students. You give them like a real easy metaphor to work with. It's like mm-hmm. unpack this really obvious idea for me, like just okay. to talk about it. So we're getting into teacher psychology now. Oh, yeah. a little teacher yeah, so tricks. The, okay. So, so the you know the idea is that some student, some confident student who wants looking to build their confidence, can say like, uh, well, you know, like we are to the gods as flies are to want in children. Like, like we're just playthings, you know. So like. Like human misery is, is actually has no meaning behind it. It's just like so all suffering is meaningless. Like it's 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 absurd how meaningless an empty life is. He says something to that effect, I think. And then I think there's a funny joke where he's like he he calls on another student. He's like, and Tom, and then the other student is sort of incredulous or or because it seems like a news broadcast. He says like style. over to you, Tom, or something. Yeah, over like to you, that. Tom. Yeah, yeah. I was like oh, thanks. Thank, thank you, Matthew. That's the movie's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's right. That's him. And then they get to this other character who is unnamed in the in the in the movie, but in the script he's named David, I think. Uh, and and David really just go. David is like this. He's like this kind of scruffy kid with big sideburns and glasses. He seems like he reads a lot of socialist theory, like too young. Mm-hmm. And he's like he just like lays into this this quote with his own interpretation about like maybe it's not that simple. Maybe it's about how like the gods are existing on a sphere of consciousness that we can't possibly understand as people. And Shakespeare is saying that like <laughs> our efforts to understand this great 
greater consciousness are all in vain, mm-hmm. which which you know frustrates the hell out of Matthew Broderick because it's a huge reach and it's it's completely not supported in the text and it seems like just a big crazy idea mm-hmm. that this kid is just like getting all sci-fi this anime. Kid's thinking about outside it. the box. Yeah, yeah, I guess you could. You're giving him a lot of credit, but <laughs> I actually think like he does have a point. So, mm-hmm. um, but Broderick doesn't doesn't know how to react yeah. and it's like okay let's move on i want to move on and the, the kid like won't let him move on he's like no i think that you know if we are if we are uh to the gods as flies are to wanton children then perhaps he's saying something about our inability to access the greater consciousness Jersey has of... memorized the script uh-huh. it's great oh, well this, this scene i just read this, this scene. scene's unreal <laughs> it's so good it goes um, on for so long yeah there's also these like and this is what i think is alex's favorite part of the scene um mm. there are these these stressful breaks <laughs> where Matthew Broderick like paces over to his desk and drinks his orange juice, which he is like, like a- angrily <laughs> drinks his juice. Yeah. yeah. His little he curtain of juice. Yeah. yeah. He does it twice, and then the, the second or third time he does it. The last it, time, yeah. He the takes last a bite of his like, sandwich. He also yeah. takes a bite of his sandwich, which is <laughs> it's so it's so great. It's so it's people so like upset eating food is funny. I mean yes, I anyone can Especially agree. while teaching a class. Like, yeah. I never would ever think to write a class and be like, okay, and then the teacher takes a bite of his little sandwich. A grown sandwich. man <laughs> with a little carton, like a little school carton of juice. Like, that's hilarious. It's that's hilarious. Great. Yeah. It's so good. There's great contrast. There's but you're, you're, you're two hours into this movie, and it's just a scene where Lisa barely has any lines, and it's just really <laughs> focusing on this little... And we really, like, we really get a sense of, like, all these other characters here and there. Like, we get... Like, there's a moment where... Earlier, where Matthew Broderick runs into them outside, and they're like mm-hmm. smoking weed, and he's like, "You can't smoke on the way to a school event. Come on!" And they all laugh at him, and then just there's a shot because he says, "Smoke a J." Oh, smoke a J. We just really focus on him walking away and being like humiliated by these. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> yep, this movie has room to focus on Matthew Broderick's feelings and not mm-hmm. in the context of just. Lisa's story. Yeah. yeah. But like all the other kind of weird, uh, languorous asides in the film, it still manages to, to be very thematically intact. Like it's this this discussion about this Shakespeare quote is is a discussion about the movie at large. You know, like it's still it's still about trying to find meaning in suffering. And in a way, this sort of like bratty student who's trying to make this obscene argument about Shakespeare's try- trying to write about some some lack of understanding of the consciousness of the gods, he's kind of onto something in that like what Gloucester says is sort of arrogant if we look at it from the perspective of this film, Margaret. Like he's saying that the gods are are, are are toying with us the way that children toy with flies. Which first of all, like, is that a thing that wanton boys do? They torture flies? That seems like it would be hard to I don't to even know what wanton do. means. It's, it's like a like... Crimea of a word. <laughs> wanton... Isn't that a kind of like Chinese food or something? Yeah, wanton. Mm-hmm. Playful or reckless in this context. <laughs> That's what the book says. But also... Playful, reckless boys. But also, you, you brought this point earlier, and we weren't allowed to talk about it on the podcast because we were breaking some sort of <laughs> podcast rule to talk about it earlier. But that uh, Gloucester turned blind, and so did uh, mm-hmm. Alison Janney's character before she died. And I wonder if there's uh, maybe that a connection was be- between... Wait, was that, that was before we started talking about the movie? That I believe a... that was pre-recording. Oh, that was wow. pre-recording? Mm-hmm. No, we talked... No, no, no. 
We talked about this while recording. We were talking about this during the bus. Yeah, yeah. That's in the pod. Because I think you were talking about how you read the screenplay, and we were like, wow. And you said, yeah, I saw some things in the screenplay. In King Lear. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to gaslight you here. Unfortunately, I have to gaslight you and say that I believe we talked about this when you were going through the movie and we got to the bus accident. Yeah. Okay, maybe we did. Okay, that was hours ago. <laughs> it's a long movie. Sorry to gaslight you. Yeah. Yeah. But I think my biggest, my biggest sort of like my biggest takeaway from this, as I'm thinking about it now, mm-hmm. is, and thinking about this bratty high school student in this like AP private school class going on this diatribe about the consciousness of the gods and being shut down, gaslighted, if you will, by Matthew Broderick telling him he's, he's gaslit, foolish. even. He, he oh, what, a gaslit. thousand Frenchmen can't be wrong? Yeah, he says, he says scholarly opinion is quite consistent about this Shakespeare quote. Mm-hmm. To which, yeah, he says a thousand Frenchmen can't be wrong. And uh, yeah, scholarly opinion is pretty consistent. I looked it up about this. Like, It's an easy metaphor. It's easy to understand. But also, like, I mean, it's cra- it's crazy to think that, you know, that, that we could have that we could have such arrogance to understand what how the gods have fun and play with us. And to think that, like, you know, a, a horrible accident in which a woman is like blinded and killed and has her limb removed is like is actually just the, the gods having fun like that in and of itself, you know, allows for some weird reality. I don't know. It's it's it's. There's no way for us to know. I think the kid, the kid is is actually making an important uh, point about life. God was the wonton boy pulling off the fly's leg and putting it under a bus. Yeah, but mm-hmm. but to think that it's just like a that it's just for fun and games, I think is where every all was where scholarly opinion and Lisa and Matthew Broderick are kind of maybe missing the point of human suffering in life. That actually, perhaps we can't understand the, the nature of human suffering. In such simple terms. Basically, this this bratty kid is basically like critiquing Shakespeare in kind of a cool contemporary way. And uh, <laughs> he's, it's like it's so it's so funny because it's so cringy and it, he seems like such a such a fool. But it's sort of like, yeah, like, what if, though? <laughs> what if that's what's really going on? <laughs> oh, yeah. And who is he in the play that says this? I don't know King Glo- Lear at all. Gloucester? Yeah, but what is, oh, yeah, who is Gloucester? Yeah, define Gloucester. You know, actually, the town that I grew up in was called Gloucester. Oh, cool. Gloucester, Virginia. Wow. Named after the um, town of Gloucester in England, which I assume... Where is that at in Virginia? Southern, near Richmond, but Mm. on the coast. Oh, my God. That is so not what we asked about Gloucester. That's Uh, what I asked about where he grew up. My mom's from Virginia. I'm stalling. I'm looking up the dramatis (laughs) personae, which is how they spell it in the... (laughs) He's the he's the earl. Who's in the what's story? an earl? <laughs> yeah, what is an earl? I don't know. I told you I skimmed King Lear this morning. It's it's like this is king and like his kids are all trying to rip him off or something. I think it's like mm-hmm. succession, but like they're English. Okay, so <laughs> I just think any other movie, you know, you get there's gonna be there's gonna be like one scene where it's like the thematic. I'm obsessed thing. that we've had like a 40 minute breakdown of this like. 30 second scene. <laughs> oh, it's not a 30 second scene. This goes on. You, it, it just well, it keeps going back and forth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, you know, we have the we have the scene where Matthew Broderick, which happens a few scenes earlier, where he reads mm-hmm. Margaret the, the poem. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, that's the scene that's like kind of a metaphor for the movie. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, it's, it's even the title of the movie. Here it is. He's yeah. reading the poem. Here we go. Mm-hmm. And he said then, the line. 
Yeah, he said the line. We all pointed. Leo yeah. from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood pointed uh-huh. to the screen. There we go. Yeah, yeah. And then a few scenes later, Lonergan hits us with this fucking banger of a Gloucester <laughs> scene. <laughs> Just debating this fucking... Debating a teen plot. over oh, the meaning of Shakespeare. Yeah. Uh. Oh. I just I just looked it up in the character list for King Lear, and it turns out so Gloucester is actually a sixteen year old girl who witnesses a tragic accident <laughs> and feels responsible for it. So I think it's like basically one one to one. Like I, I think it was a really smart choice to use this play of all the plays he could have chosen. I mean, he clearly has a background yeah. in theater if he knows this much about like, which play is like a good metaphor. And he for does the, have a yeah, background in theater. He does. He directed a few plays, right? Uh huh. Yeah. That's like his thing. Yeah. So he's a scholar as well. <laughs> okay, we have to move on. <laughs> this is. I, can you see where people drop off in the podcast? Because I think if you just watch the stream views, it's going to be like listening, listening. Okay, they're done with the flies scene. Okay, <laughs> we're pretty close to the end of the movie, right? Like this is the rest of it's all just like the the lawyer stuff, and then we're we're out, right? Some big stuff. Yeah, like I mean, another page of notes. Just, she has, you know, she still fucks uh, Matt Damon, has oh, an abortion, God. big lawyer yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah, there's, yeah, yeah, stuff. there's more right. the lawyer stuff where they found out that Ruffalo had two prior accidents, which I mentioned earlier. So yeah, the case takes a turn. Yeah, the case takes a turn. He wasn't fired because the MTA is like under fire for labor disputes already and they don't want to fire anyone because of that. Yeah, they get they get a different lawyer, the best lawyer, and they also have to loop in Allison Janney's cousin who is just a total total piece of shit. Yeah. She's just great, so oh, oh, so I love good. that. I love that character so much. She's yeah. so mm-hmm. good. Her and then later when her husband comes in too when they're all on the conference call. That was great. Yeah. Conference calls, plural. Oh, what is a movie with multiple great conference calls? <laughs> I can just like imagine like no carding that scene. Like you know they they're on a conference call with the family and like I don't know like there's there's just no there's no way that the description of that scene mm-hmm. could possibly communicate the both the, chaos. Co- the comedy and chaos and, mm-hmm. and extreme drama of that of that uh, those scenes. Yeah, and everyone having different motives in this whole. Thing that's going on too. The cousin just wanting money, not giving a shit about Janie's life or mm-hmm. death, or the bus driver getting fired. But at yeah, the end, it. It, mm-hmm. even though the cousin, total piece of shit, doesn't care about anything but the money, she does make a fair point where it's like, well, the bus driver. I mean, look, it was an accident. <laughs> She's not wrong. <laughs> like there really isn't mm-hmm. yeah. that much reason other than he gaslights women to really <laughs> destroy this guy's to life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Life. Unfortunately, not a criminal <laughs> offense yet. This is how <laughs> our society punishes people. Or what does the lawyer say? It's like this, we, yes. you know, we get, Punitive we get money damages. from the insurance company. Yeah. That's just the way it works. Yeah, where it's like, okay, you get the money, then it is. What's the good side? You get the you money. Get the money. <laughs> yeah. You like nobody money. goes to jail. Nobody gets something on their record. Nothing like that. That's, it's that's just you get money from this. And all the money yeah. goes to the cousin. It has to go to next of kin um and the cousin sucks so that does nothing for anyone besides the cousin who just is rich now <laughs> yeah but she's also like the only character who's not rich so it's kind of i mean it's nice <laughs> like, yeah okay here's a question for the margaret scholars on this podcast and for margaret the margaret scholars and the, <laughs> and the listening audience yeah is this coincidence or foreshadowing that the big the big punchline when the mom enters the play is you're not fired because she comes out being a big rambly oh, yeah. thing about like, if you're going to farm, right. what do you have to say to that? He goes, um, you're not fired. And everyone laughs, <laughs> politely and claps. 
And then what happens at the end? Ruffalo, not fired. Okay, not fired. Okay, okay. I see where you're going with this. Okay, we got to make a call. Foreshadowing or coincidence? Is this going to have to be a poll? No, we're gonna, well, we got to make a call right now on the line. I'm going to vote foreshadowing. So it's one for foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Yeah, I can agree with that. I didn't think about that, but I think that's a really good point. Yeah, I don't think it's like the strongest example of foreshadowing in the movie, but mm-hmm. I don't think it was done without intention. I think everything is everything rhymes so nicely in the movie. That that's it's 3-0 foreshadowing. Yeah, I don't think there's any coincidences in this film. I don't know. I think it's a coincidence that she's looking for a <laughs> cowboy hat and then he's wearing a cowboy hat. It's <laughs> a <pretty big> coincidence. <laughs> In New York City on the Upper West Side, (laughs) a bus driver in a cowboy hat? That does seem like a coincidence. Good point. No, you're absolutely right. I feel like we haven't talked about the dad enough or at all. Like, like the, no. She's trying right. to buy the cowboy hat like so that she can do this riding lesson with her dad. I think what I'm realizing is that the dad is fully not in my notes, really, besides mentioning that they were going he effectively, on a trip. He, he, he causes the whole drama of the film. It's all his fault. And then he cancels the fucking trip. Like, it, it doesn't even, she doesn't even need the cowboy hat that she didn't get that a woman died for. You know, it's all and about he, a yeah. negligent father. He cancels the trip because he doesn't like, he doesn't think they're excited enough. Like, go yeah, be a fucking right. dad. He's such a baby. <laughs> all he does is call. He's like, hey, do you have a boyfriend? Oh, here's a tip. Ignore boys. They'll like you. Like, what are you? Yeah. Shut up, nerd. That was weird. <laughs> yeah, and he cancels the trip partially because he can't get an answer about what they want to eat at their resort or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, if you won't tell me what you want to eat, then we're canceling the trip. Yeah. You think the mom doesn't deal with her trauma. But what about this guy? He's like, hey, you know, I'm canceling your trip because you're going to tell me what you want to eat. Go take horseback riding lessons. I think they'll really pay off. But it's just, it's awful that this this woman, this woman dies. Like, sure, you know, yeah. this this innocent woman dies for, for this fucking cowboy hat. And the whole thing is meaningless. Like, it's yeah. so... No trip. I think the, they should have at least ridden some horses, you know? Yeah. Does he really ask her how she's dealing with this death either? He's just like, you're not answering me about the the cafeteria. He, they do talk about it, but then mostly he he's just concerned of helping her with like the legal side of changing her police statement. Mm-hmm. So he's just like, oh, I'll call my lawyer friend to see if he can don't get in trouble. But when he drags her for not answering the phone, he's not like, look, I know you're going through a lot. No. You held a dying woman in your arms, etc. But I need to know what you want for dinner yes. uh, in two months. <laughs> yeah, he's being pouty. And and he tells her to tell Curtis and her brother that the trip's canceled. He's not even calling like the the little kid to cancel himself. He's like, oh yeah, also tell your brother. I'll call you in a few weeks. Yeah, Bye. True. Yeah, that sucks. But also remember, this is like 2003. Like we're judging them by 2021 parenting <laughs> standards in terms of like being sensitive to their their traumas and stuff. Like it's, I mean, 9/11 just happened. True. I don't know. Like they're it's a different. It is a different world. I'm not just being um, facetious. Like they. You know, like, yeah, she saw, she saw a woman get hit by a bus. Like, the whole city just saw, like, these buildings get blown up. And I don't know. I think our relationship with trauma was a little bit different at that time. Yeah. Spider-Man yeah. 3 just came out. It was just... Spider-Man like, 3, yeah. Yeah, and I think also, like, part of what they're exploring throughout the movie is that that young people going through such traumatic events, or even mildly traumatic events, it feels so much bigger to them mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. grown people. Yeah, she feels more easily. As yes. Emily yeah. would put it, yeah, that's the big scene we haven't talked about yet. Yeah, that's probably like the biggest scene in the movie, right? Like the biggest statement of of the movie. That one. Oh, well, what's left is yeah. that one, and then the 
when she cries on the conference call or she screams yeah. at the conference call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She has some really great emotional outbursts in this film. She's such a good actor. Are we talking about especially for being so young? I'm oh, talking yeah, about Anna Paquin. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. I'm also talking about Jeannie Berlin because both are incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. really, there's not a bad performance in the bunch. I don't think. I think that's one of the best parts about this movie is all the actors are just so good. I'm not a fan of Mark Ruffalo. I think he's a oh. gaslighter. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to publicly support a gaslighter? <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not going down with that ship. No way. And he publicly came out for Bernie Sanders, a notorious woman shusher. So I think Ruffalo is canceled. Yeah, his resume is <laughs> pretty bad. He's got a pretty bad resume these days. Here's my impression of uh, Mark Ruffalo in The Avengers. <laughs> If it was mashed with Margaret. Okay. You know my secret? I am always strident. <laughs> Incredible. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right, we got to um, talk about this Matt yeah. Damon thing, right? Yeah, well, she, let's get back she, to she, it. Right. She fucks I, I Matt just... Damon. It rules. She um, tells him to stop being a little kid about it. But there's two things that happened before that. One is that she mentions to her mother that she wants to live with her dad. And her mom just starts, like, throwing plates and going nuts. Because it's her intention to upset her mother. Yeah, she's definitely being a brat. But then right after that, she goes to hang out with the Janny friend again. And that's when we get that big scene. Oh, yeah, let's talk about the Strident scene. Mm -hmm. Go on. I mean, this is the big, uh, this is her really, even though she's not, this is not part of the losses of her, this is her really trying to make this woman's death about herself. And Mm -hmm. there is that big misunderstanding during the death scene because her name's Lisa and that woman's, dead daughter's name lisa so she was asking mm-hmm. for lisa she's like are you talking about your daughter you're talking about me mm-hmm. she does not read the room well and she's telling this woman's real friend about like yeah. and it's just honestly what kills allison janney earlier in the movie is not the biggest bus crash of the film it's this scene just watching lisa just tell just keeps telling her friend oh yeah i think in that moment i was kind of like her daughter and it's kind of like amazing that she got to live with her daughter and it's just I mean, this woman, like, stridently cuts her down real good. <laughs> yeah. And is her daughter still inhabiting your body? Like, she owns her ass. Yeah. Uh, she does own her ass. <laughs> Hell yeah. And this is, like, this is the big thing where she gets yelled at, like, hey, this isn't a fucking, like, movie. This is my real friend who died. This isn't happening to you. This happened mm-hmm. to her. This happened to me, who's her friend. This is, like, not your. And she's just, like, stop being so strident about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the that, word that, that just really you can't pushes say her over strident. Yeah. Then she's mm-hmm. sobbing. She's apologizing for saying strident. She used the wrong word. I don't know. That's I don't have an analysis. Says. I'm just like this. Just seems like incredible. This is in my yeah. top tier yeah. season movie. She accuses her of of treating everyone around her as supporting characters to her life or to the the opera or the the play of her life, and foregoing everyone else's humanity. Like she's like, we're all just people. You're a person. I'm also a person. Your mom's a person, and uh, you're treating us like we're characters that you get to dramatize. Like you play with us like ants for sports or something. <laughs> 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 you're like some sort of wonton boy <laughs> she really sees her though right like she's she's really the only character that seems to have a super accurate read on lisa in the movie like oh mm-hmm. totally she's like you don't think this has anything to do lisa with like your 
tough relationship with your mom right now. Yeah. Like, got her. <laughs> got her. She gets her ass owned. And like it's her, sick. her mom is too caught up with her dating life with Ramon to, to even dole out such criticism. You know, she can't say like, mm-hmm. Lisa, you're making this about yourself. I think it's a little unhealthy. She's able to say like, I think you should focus on your schoolwork. But she she's not psychoanalyzing. She's not able to psychoanalyze her daughter the way that Emily is able she's to. She's maybe too close to the situation too. When it's your own daughter. Yeah. I think if, if your mom said something like that to you, you'd be like, shut the fuck up, mom. What right. do you know? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, but when it's like some stranger, essentially, like, it hits a little different. This should be the scene in the movie where, like, everyone is just on the same page in terms of absolutely loving it. Like, if you've been un- not enjoying the movies up to this point because you think Lisa's a real asshole, like, mm-hmm. I don't like this movie at all because this character is unwatchable. She's horrible. You know, this should be the movie that's like, oh, finally, one for the audience. Like, shut her down. <laughs> she's really, she's really, really bad at talking to people and existing in this world. I think she gets owned a couple times throughout the film. Right? Like, she gets called a What's cunt the other big owning? early. And yeah, then... but that seems more democratic. Like, they're just, mm-hmm. like, mom and, dad fi- mom, and, mom and daughter fighting. Mom and dad? Yeah, mom her, and dad. Mo- her mom's on the back foot, and she calls her a cunt to, like, try to get power. That she doesn't give it. It's just, like, like this mm-hmm. is, like, her thinking, you know, oh, yeah, I'm connecting with this woman. And then, oh, boom, losing all yeah. in the scene. True. I guess she doesn't get, like, necessarily... She's never owned as hard, that for sure you can say. But I think a lot of her interactions with especially adult characters throughout the movie are just her saying something, thinking she's being normal or chill or whatever, and then the adults absolutely going off in her face or screaming at her or etc. Except for one beautiful man, which is Matt Damon, hot teacher. (laughs) The only one who gets her. Uh, and empathizes with her and meets her on her level. He's the Indiana character. Yes. The only good guy in the film from Indiana. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, the only just good a, hot decent, a decent New Yorker. You know, they're always transplants from the Midwest, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will say, just putting on the list, because we've glossed over a few, but yeah, I put the... Uh... That, that very first opening scene, that classroom scene where she talks to him, uh, mm-hmm. number seven on my list. Okay. And there's a little scene where it kind of like talks to him about the bus situation and another kid's trying to get into the class and he's like, there's a lot of people out here mm-hmm. and it's very hard to breathe. <laughs> he's I, like, shut I, the fucking yeah, door, basically. Shut the door. Yeah. I put that as number yeah. six. Okay, that and was then, pretty good, yeah. And I think that uh, fills up the list except number five I put, which may be too low. I know Jersey loves this. is very early on. Uh, Matthew Broderick's just assigning roles to Reed and Lear and he says, and I'm going to hog the role of Lear again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's cute. It makes me like Matthew Broderick's character immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then just I uh, love him more. You also and more like the hog movie. rolls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> just how, by the way, I've been dominating this pod. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I have too many more details about yeah anything happening inside of a classroom. So if there are more classroom things, that was it. I mean, I, I feel like people in the podcast could piece together my full list now that I've listed every oh, yeah? number and we all the information's a- there. Take a pic of the list, and uh, I can post it with the episode. Oh, no, this is a very <laughs> messy list. No, this is... Kayla, do you have a favorite classroom what? scene? Do you agree with us? Kill us for their sport is number one. Ooh, do I have a favorite classroom scene? Um, which one did you say is number one? The wow. the one we spent an oh, hour the, discussing. spent an hour discussing. <laughs> uh... <laughs> That probably does have to be number one. I mean, when he angrily yes. sips the juice, oh, I yes. mean, you really can't beat that. That was that was really funny. Okay, great. Glad we're all in agreement on that. I think the one we just mentioned with the kids trying to come in the classroom and he tells them shut the door and go outside, that probably has to be number two. That is very good. 
and he does ask her why it matters that she's rich and that that is a really good part that she is mm-hmm. she is the whole time kind of aware of her privilege but not really aware of her privilege it's a it's mm-hmm. a very interesting line she thinks that being rich should mean something bad but isn't quite fully aware of what or why right <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah so matt damon's the only one who's nice to her and she does go to his house and sucks his dick himself. well we don't know like what the, exactly happens well wait is it in the extended no with the extended cuts out they cut out an angle that shows her going down mm-hmm. on him and that's what mm. the theatrical has it's such a funny shot and i think is a big mistake losing that shot from the extended yeah but do you think they also fully bone oh they also fully bone for sure because we don't see any of it no it's a cut Mm -hmm. because she tells him it's just sex and also she has an abortion even though it could be um kieran's baby matt damon's face is not the face of well i just came in your mouth so it's fine (laughs) like that's the face of a man that (laughs) fucked a child maybe he doesn't know how it works either (laughs) and he's like can you get pregnant from the mouth? I don't know. Because, yeah. I mean, we can see from earlier conversations that sometimes grown men also don't know how sex works. <laughs> right. As he rides away on his little bike, I'm sure. <laughs> Him riding on the bike, I did love. It's mm-hmm. so funny. Well, and he also yes. does, when she rides the bike, um, he gets a little looky-loo at her backside. So he already was waiting with the boner when she came over, I think. I mean, he clearly is should not have put himself in that situation. No. Yeah. You can't let kids come to your house. Jersey, just officially, where do you stand on teachers and professors <laughs> fucking their students, especially if students are <laughs> underage? Uh, just an official stance, please. Uh, with high schoolers? <laughs> like at a, is it, it's like a private school on the Upper West Side? Uh, like, yeah, private Jew school. Uh, I mean, they're all like kind of rich, right? Yeah, like, and the teacher, it's not like an old gross teacher. It's like a cool, cool teacher. His last name is the first name. They call him Mr. Aaron. It's cool. It's fine. Yeah. Right. He's kind. He's like good looking. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. He's like the star of the informant good looking. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I don't think... We were before complaining that no one was really taking her trauma seriously. And yeah. in the very beginning of the movie, like he has coffee with her mm-hmm. and wants to talk about how she's coping mm-hmm. with uh, what she's seen. No other adult in her life is doing that. Just uh, playing devil's advocate I, here, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think uh, we, ha- wait, she talked we haven't to him gotten and- a clear stance on fucking or not fucking. He's, like, do- he's dodging the question and I respect that dodge and I'm going to allow it. I, I, I think that, yeah, she clearly comes to a teacher even though she's always flirting them like in a at least in a classroom setting hey can i talk to you in a classroom he mm-hmm. could have said let's talk after class he did not need to take that to uh get a coffee come on my man come yeah. on mr aaron <laughs> yeah really the coffee was the first mistake but you know no one's mm-hmm. talking to this girl like i don't know it's tough yeah i don't know if there was a way to course correct with that relationship i mean he just keeps making the worse and worse decisions I think letting because her ride he his bike around was a bad idea, you know. She's hot and he does care, though, also, maybe. Yeah, maybe he cares. I don't know. He, if the student just... is hot, then, like, what do you do? You don't... I don't... You're gaslighting us about what we should do. <laughs> I don't know, like, New York 2003, it's a different time. Like, there's different mm-hmm. uh, There's different views on... Yeah, the towers um, just fell. He shouldn't be alone <laughs> right now. <laughs> When I was in high school, my chemistry teacher was dating someone in my class, too. And like dating? Like they would go out, they'd go out on dates? Like they got married as soon as she graduated. <laughs> I guess there really was some uh, chemistry there. Are, are, they, are they still together? Is it, is it still a I thing? I have no idea. 
And that was a long time ago, and I don't know. I was not friends with them. Everyone knew about it. Okay, well, what else? What else is going on? We got Ramon's funeral. <sighs> yeah. What, uh, oh no! Before we? Ramon's funeral, we got we got into uh, we got into mm, the big the Jewish fight. Yeah, the dinner. Because mm-hmm. yeah, she gets into fight at school about like. Arabs and stuff, and then the fight carries over to dinner with Emily. Yeah, and, with uh, with uh, Janie's friend, aka Emily, and Anna's there. The mom and the boyfriend are all there. And he, you know, he's got the right point. It's like, uh, <laughs> it's yeah, violence is only like considered violence against the state, but the state uh, can use violence and uh, keep the status quo going. Alex on Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> <laughs> Happy New Year, everybody! I, I think, and then yeah, I, I, yeah, she gave the the, the typical Jewish response, <laughs> and she was being a little little strident about it. <laughs> she threw the water. She was being and, a little Jewish, according yeah, to him. Yeah, yeah, I. Which you uh, agree with? I I agree with the stance, and um, <laughs> and it is funny to see like right after Emily being like the most correct character in a movie to also not being the most wrong, but just also but just. Uh, I don't know. It's a very complicated argument, but it, just to see her on the back foot, I thought was uh, yeah. Lonergan's great. There's no right character, wrong character. Inc- yeah, incredible to go there in 2003. Like incredible to go there so close to all of that. Like it's. I mean, that was a. I think that was a bold little political uh, uh, conversation. Yeah. And also, I think I think he I think he comes across well in the snippets we see of his arguments. You know, like it. It mm-hmm. seems like his. His stance is stated intelligently. He seems like he's the calm one. Like it's, I don't know, it's dangerous territory, I think, for a ton of reasons. All right. And the mom breaks up with him and his, the measured way that he responds to the breakup is so funny. He's the best character. He goes, I meant to say, I should have said Israeli, but I said mm-hmm. Jewish. And if you want to break up with me over the wrong adjective, what can I do about that? I, <laughs> I will not beg you. <laughs> what he says specifically is that is that he used the wrong word he says he used the wrong word and like you're mad because i used the wrong word which is also exactly the thing that anna paquin's character said earlier in the movie when she called the same person strident right so and it's and also on the reverse side it's not the wrong word but like in that very first (laughs) argument where the mom calls her a cunt but it's basically like the mom's trying to get at, like, why are you treating me like, like, whatever. And then she's mm-hmm. just, like, keeps going, I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing... And then the mom just, like, flips out of just, like, look, I, I'm not saying all the right words, but you know you're doing something. And mm-hmm. that's what I want to talk about. The, whatever, the something you're doing. I'm sorry I can't put it into words. And I think this movie does a great job of just capturing that how much of arguments is arguing about the words we're using. And that's, that's when you know you're in a fucking... Uh, the worst argument when you're just like <laughs> debating what words. No, but you said this, and it's just you're just going this little worm whirlpool, whatever. Worm pool. Worm, worm pool. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. But yeah, it's clearly a movie about <laughs> words and choosing words and actions and constant and consequences. Yeah, and yeah. right after he's anti-Semitic, he instantly dies. So. <laughs> Okay, God was listening. Oh, yeah. On Rosh <laughs> So he super has a heart attack off screen and just dies. And they have to go to the funeral where 
his son approaches the mom and is like, basically, you know, my dad kind of got around, but he liked you more and wanted to marry you. He told me. Anyway, bye. <laughs> yeah, he's like, she's trying to introduce him to Lisa. He does not care. He's just like, let me give a little speech. There's like so many other clearly single heartbroken women there. It's like, I wonder how many times he's given this speech in the last like, yeah. 20 minutes. Oh, you think yeah. so? You think everyone's getting this? I think everyone's getting a little speech or something. I think mm. this is the part that I feel is suddenly very sitcommy. Like mm-hmm. it just feels like such a weird genre shift and tonal shift. Yeah. At this point in the movie, too, it's just so unexpected that it. Where you're like, what do we do with like, Ramon now? Let's kill him. <laughs> yeah, it's broad comedy. It's it's totally <laughs> yeah. Seinfeld. He gets this goofy off-screen death, you know, after this like awkward fo- social faux pas, and then it's like even the way the funeral is shot, all these like medium shots and the sun coming up, like it feels way more like a different movie suddenly for a second and it's mm-hmm. it's very very funny and weird yeah. if he doesn't die how can they end up at the opera at the end which makes you cry every time <laughs> there's no other way to get Aww. them two tickets no. it's, it is an important it is an important uh death for dramatic purposes for storytelling purposes um okay so next is the big emotional outburst over the conference call so the bus company wants to settle and pay the money but refuses to fire mark ruffalo because that would be an admission of guilt mm-hmm. Pacwin just has like a huge emotional outburst over this because the cousin doesn't care they just want the money um and nothing's being done and mark ruffalo still isn't going to face right. any consequence they're like why do you even care it's like i'm the one that killed her and I know mm-hmm. I'm wrong, and he doesn't know he's wrong, but how is he going to know he's wrong if he doesn't get fired? That's when I cried the second time I watched this movie in the last week. Yeah. And that got me good. Yeah. She just wants and- him to know he's wrong, but he's a fucking gaslighter. <laughs> <laughs> I need him to know gaslighting is wrong, and also the killing women thing. He's an abuser. <laughs> killing, yeah, killing that woman is, like, not even in the top three of the worst things he does in that movie. <laughs> Mark Ruffalo refuses to be canceled by anyone, and she's not having it, and she does some cussing and runs away, but it is very emotional. (laughs) Really emotional. Honestly, the way the lawyer handles that scene also really breaks my heart. Like, he's just very, he has to be, you know, he's following the law. It's like, who gets the thing? But he's being very gentle with their feelings, and he's just, it's just, it's tough. Mm -hmm. It's a tough loss. Tough loss for Lisa, even though... The cousin gets fucking half a million dollars. That was pretty much their last thing they could do, too. Are you crying in that scene because of, like, who are you connecting with in that moment? Is it is it the vulnerability or is it, like, the realization? It is just, it just the kind of, like, everything hits home for you in that moment? Or Yeah, I mean, that's, that is that is the climax of the movie. And it really, yeah, when Lisa really just, it just all comes out. It's like, she's like, I, mm-hmm. I think that's the first time she says, I killed her. And mm-hmm. um, she's just really just wants, and it's just such a small want. I just want them to know he's wrong. Mm-hmm. and it's just she's not getting it is the rest of the movie we see her kind of abstractly dealing with her guilt or finding ways around it and this is the first time she verbalizes it yeah she really admits fault and it and it, it's like the first she's always just you know saying everything in such intellectual ways this and that and this is the first time where it's like it just hear it all laid out and she really does just seem like a little kid just crying and so upset and it's i don't know it's, um, I don't know. You're going to cry right now? My cat's chasing his tail. Um, <laughs> I'm changing, I'm changing the subject. So you're going to <laughs> <laughs> Jersey, okay. why, do, why why does that moment resonate with me? I mean, I think for the reasons you just said, I'm not going to gaslight you into thinking <laughs> that you, you, 
feel anything different than what you're expressing. But I guess I, I found it I find it to be a very powerful scene and I and I love it for all the same reasons, but it's it's a weird one. Like I have a tough time believing that that really is what Lisa wants, that that really is her objective as a character in this movie that she just wants because, you know, she killed her and she needs Mark Ruffalo to know that he killed her too. Her her main goal is like a is a moral goal. She needs him to be aware of his that what he did is wrong. I don't know if that's it's hard to believe for me that that's really where she's so at. So you don't believe women is what you're saying. Oh, wow. oh maybe you don't like Mark Ruffalo because you see so much of him in yourself. <laughs> Comments? I, I mean, I think... I, I think... <laughs> Touche, it's very good. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, you know, no. I. I don't even know. If I also believe her. I think. I, I think in that moment she <laughs> believes that, or she wants to say that. I think it's just. I mean, that's the. If we can refer to the poem that mm-hmm. he reads, Margaret. It's like, who is she really mourning for? It's just herself. But she's. She's confused. She's mixed up. She's hurt. Well, exactly. That's kind of why I feel like it's maybe meant to read as a tiny bit phony in the, the same way that like everything that that character says is a little immature and a little phony. And that's sort of where all of the frustration comes from and all of the joy of authenticity comes from. Like it's, you know, she's she's still sort of not getting it. You know, this they settled. They won. The the next of kin's going to get the money. Like, yeah, she doesn't get the kind of dramatic closure of the guy that yelled at her losing his job you know and that like she flips out and yells at everyone and makes it kind of about like her once more you know i killed her i need to know that that he knows what he did is wrong like just again sort of seizing the plot and trying to make it her own to me it's it's, it feels like that's not the conclusion of the movie that's the kind of last act of an unaware character that's that's her still being a child uh, in, in from my point of view. That's why I think the conclusion is the actual conclusion. The moment where she like, I don't know, she like really comes to term with what she, with what she really wants, what she really needs, you know, when she when she's crying in the theater with her mother, you know, mm-hmm. it's all about, you know, the absence that Kayla's pointing out. It's about what she's not getting. Mm-hmm. I don't think she actually wants drama. I don't think she wants a dramatic conclusion. Also, I, I don't think that would be good for her. I don't think that she'd want to have to live with this guy going to jail or losing his job. Like, you know, I mean, it's she doesn't know what she wants. I'm sorry to gaslight this fictional character, but she is a child. Like, she's a child that's that's coming of age. That's, that's the way these movies are designed. I'm supposed to be aware that she's a fool for most of it and then kind of figures it out towards the end, maybe. Or mm-hmm. doesn't, and that's the tragedy of it. Right, and and she, the only thing she could take into her hands is by punishing Matt Damon, who also objectively does something wrong, by like telling him that she had an abortion in front of like another coworker. Yeah, in the in the theatrical version, yeah, all we see of her abortion storyline is just her walking up to Damon and some woman and just saying, "Hey, did you know I got an abortion last week?" Anyway, like, <laughs> and that's later. it. Oh, that rocks. So yeah, the, the extended I mean... one, the extended one cuts a line that I really like in the theatrical. <laughs> where uh, the woman's like trying to leave she's like do I leave you alone and he's like no you you stay yeah, <laughs> like, he's yeah. trying to like mitigate it he knows what happens when he's left alone with this young girl yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know probably not great but yeah in the extended version they do have the whole thing of her finding out she's pregnant going in to get the abortion and all that and her mom's very supportive during that by the way mm-hmm. and there for okay. her so, <laughs> so mm. but it also but it feels sort of requisite it feels like that's that's just like a standard mother-daughter moment. I kind of get cutting all that. It feels too yep. basic in a way for such a weird movie. I, I kind of get it, but 
Also, I think if you're going to cut all that, that you should also probably cut this. Did you know I got an abortion last week? Because it almost Hard seems disagree. like Hard it almost seems like a lie because you never see or hear like any other mention of this in the whole movie. She just like runs up and says that it almost seems like she's just kind of like lying for attention and to make him sweat, which I guess is fine. But that, I don't think that was the intention. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's fun believing if that's the case, I think. I mean, I always took it at the face value. Because mm-hmm. we see so much else of, like, everything else that's happening to her, yeah. even the mundane stuff, like we said, like, her just, like, sitting around, we're seeing it. And then for something so big and, like, emotional as an abortion, mm-hmm. to not even see that at all, and then just be like, yeah, that happened. You just didn't, you weren't there. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. It's a crazy moment, though, right? Because she's like, she is once again, actively trying to take down someone that she believes did something wrong, right? She's, Mm -hmm. she's, she's basically she pulls the gun out, but doesn't shoot. She has this moment where she could come forward, Mm -hmm. you know, in front of Matt Damon's colleague, she could reveal the relationship and, you know, probably like mess up his, his life or something. But she holds back. She suddenly she hesitates on it. And I, I, I just think it's interesting because it feels like that's the I don't want to call that like a moment of maturity, but it's a moment of conflict in her kind mm-hmm. of still forming morality about like what her role is in other people's lives. And that's just happened after she wasn't able to have justice on yeah. to Mark Ruffalo. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I think it's like also just a feeling of power where like the movie starts again with Damon where she's like all the power in the world cheats on test no trouble like nothing no big deal mm-hmm. and she mm-hmm. has and then it's like it's this whole story where she has no power she like can make this bus company pay out half a million dollars can't get one thing that she wants so I think in that moment she has faces she felt that power again so mm-hmm. it was like oh yeah I could re- like but it's like there's no reason to go through with it because it's, that's not being questioned it's not like she saw him scared and goes, yep, I got the power. Okay. Yeah. I feel yeah. good now. Yeah. It's actually like striking seeing her with power in that moment. There is a kind of great dramatic satisfaction to seeing her suddenly wielding this like axe over his head because it's what she hasn't. Yeah. It's what she hasn't had and what she's wanted, mm-hmm. but she doesn't use it. I don't know. Like outside of the kind of objective understanding of whether she should have come forward or not, like dramatically, it's really, it's really valuable that she doesn't use it. Like it's really, it speaks to a real, real character growth. Mm hmm. And it's just interesting to watch, too. Mm-hmm. I think if she would have spilled the beans, I don't know what that would have been like. I don't think yeah. it would have been as fun. But I, I, I see why you can't get rid of that scene, I guess. I'm, I'm also sort mm-hmm. of in Alex's camp of, like, okay. even without the background, it seems like a really important scene in terms of the development of her in, in the final act of the movie. Yeah, I guess I can agree with that. When yes! You put it into those this is the point terms. of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> when you put it into those terms, I guess I can see how it's important to the story, but maybe then just leave in some other context at least a little bit uh, like some kind of other reference to this big thing that happened to her and like maybe you don't need that whole entire scene of them going to the abortion clinic and blah blah blah, but like something yeah yeah i guess we could include a scene really going through the beats of someone coming inside her without a condom Just really <laughs> setting up that she could be pregnant. Here's what. Here's one. I do think that like leaving the door open for it being a lie mm-hmm. is maybe like is maybe risky. I feel like that would be my fear when putting together the shorter cut. It's just it's a much more interesting scene if she really had the abortion and if she's lying, which there is a way to view that movie and think that she's lying about it. I don't know. It raises too many other questions about her. And I don't know. But I, I sort of... I, uh, she started the movie with a lie. Right? Yeah, right? Like, she is kind of a liar. Mm-hmm. Hmm. 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 All right. And then 
you know, <laughs> the final scene, going to the opera with mommy. Banger. And yeah, <laughs> the opera's a banger, scene's a banger. And yeah, she's just crying her damn eyes out with mom watching her like a cry pervert, not knowing how to react also trying to feel something what's a cry pervert a cry pervert is someone who just stares at someone else who's crying i think we've all been cry perverts at one time (laughs) or another (laughs) well she's really like because there there are different ways you could handle someone who's crying while you're not crying right i mean you know a little touch not looking being respectful looking down um giving them a little are you okay and then carrying on or whatever but she's fully like not really engaging with her for a, a while but just making a big show about like turning her head all the way around and just staring at her while she's having huge sobs without saying anything. And that, I think, is a cry pervert. It's rough. <laughs> Jersey, did you do research on what this opera was about? Tales of Hoffman, yeah. What's it about? So I, okay, so, and I'm sorry to spoil the fourth the act of Tales of Hoffman, but <laughs> the fourth act is actually about a 16-year-old girl that witnesses a tragic accident. <laughs> <laughs> And is kind of coming to terms with like her own involvement in it, and whether or not she's like the. Hell yeah! So it makes perfect I think t- sense. I think t- Tales of Hoffman is like vignettes or something because it's all based on Hoffman stories, and I think like the the last act is uh, I don't know. It's it's points pointless. It, I couldn't I couldn't form any kind of opinion or connection about the content of the of the opera. And you know we're seeing the last act in the movie. No, I don't. Oh. It's it's clear that we're not seeing. All we know for sure is we're not seeing the first act. I can tell you that. Well, that's right, because she, she walks in. in yeah, after she's smoking a cigarette. Yeah. And, yeah. Right, yeah. So it's, it's either Act 2, Act 3, or Act 4. <laughs> so we've narrowed it down <laughs> to wait right. act. I guess this. we're... I guess we're ending this podcast on a whimper of <laughs> on lack of clarity on <laughs> insight on what this opera was about. I mean, yeah, that last scene is more about the emotion of what's happening and less about anything that's that you're seeing, right? right? Yeah, just curious. There's a little, little mm-hmm. sneaky, sneaky little metaphor in there. Yeah, there, there probably is. I, I, I kind of dragged my feet on trying to read about Tales of Hoffman. Um, wow. Yeah, I know. It was just a, you were tired. I took a, after I took a nap here. like right before this and. Mm-hmm. I was busy yeah. making my top ten list. I mean, I think it's like like we all we all watch it and think about the big fight, the big mother daughter fight, the cunt fight, you know, where she's mm-hmm. where she talks about how she doesn't like opera and she tries to convince her that she likes opera and all of those words and that conflict that's floating around the characters in that moment. And I don't know, it's just fucking sad. They're both crying their asses off. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. It's so real. It just feels like it's finally the cathartic release that the movie has been withholding for three hours or two and a half hours. Like. Like nothing else to me feels real. That's why the explosion on the conference call is still kind of like, you know, the movie doesn't fully come. Like it's like the, the <laughs> she's still faking it. She's still trying to make it bigger than it needs to be or more more about the kind of dramatic sense of, of the conclusion of the story. Or I don't know, like that moment is so real, the um, opera crying. It's a mm-hmm. perfect ending. I think it's a, an absolutely perfect ending. And I, I feel like I can't. Uh, I can't really articulate why. I'm sorry. I feel too close to it. That scene Aww. makes me cry because we've all been there. We've all cried at operas with our moms, right? And like, it's a sad thing. <laughs> we need another film professor to join the Zoom to tell Jersey why he is so moved by that scene. <laughs> yeah, 
I need some right exactly. This is like a human centipede. I need some outside. Well, I think I think what's I think what's really moving is you know it's, it's literally a coming of age story mm-hmm. where she's like I'm gonna do this by myself. I'm growing up. I'm mm-hmm. becoming a woman. Uh, whether it's like you know by losing virginity or by you know dealing with these things, like she specifically wants to do this without her mom. And then at the end, it's just her really finally retreating into being a child and then giving into it and just being like I want my mommy. I'm and baby I and I need mommy. I'm yeah. baby. I need to be helped by mommy, and it is uh, very moving. And the mother is a the mother is a child in that moment too. You know, the yeah. mother is uh-huh. like sudden, very vulnerable. And... Mommies are babies too. <laughs> <laughs> that's from that's is... from enlightened. That's a big enlightened revelation. It is, yeah. The mother mothers is child are children. Enlightened too, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a whole episode. I think this might be a this might be a movie about how just women are all babies. That might be Kenneth's point, <laughs> but I don't think so. I think I'm going to give him a little more credit. There's definitely a lot of that. It definitely seems to be about like men are gaslighters, women are babies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot That's of women are babies but not all women is that what you just said some women are born babies i would have to say <laughs> <laughs> all right hell yeah so we rolled the creds after that the creds are rolled good creds um, did we miss anything or should we go on to scoring? Let's see. We we didn't talk about when Ramon. I mean, there takes are a lot of the... things we didn't specifically <laughs> break down. But we missed we when Ramon takes her to the opera and mm-hmm. they're watching it, and then she says it's so beautiful, and he goes. Shh, shh, shh. He silences women. Anything else? Okay, let's go to the scoring. So we got to score this out of five. So what's your score? And you can give justification as well. You know what's weird is that like none of us have seen this movie in a movie theater like with an audience. Is that true? Mm -hmm. That's right. That's true. That's crazy. At least for me. I have have seen this with an audience of friends in this living room that I'm at. And I remember (laughs) most of them were not into the movie. And I told Mm -hmm. them, listen, you people, you're going to be texting me half a year from now being like, I can't stop thinking about Margaret. <laughs> and they were and they did mm-hmm. they've all turned around on it and i was right i would just like to know like what the big laughs are like with an audience like i want to know if him shushing her in the opera is like if that's a big gag laugh killer or... laugh i'm, killer. I'm so curious Everyone's gonna... dying laughing that's so funny the timing of that's insane yeah of course that kills an audience yeah <laughs> it's, it's, so After, it's so long of like them watching it <laughs> 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 it couldn't be timed better Mm-hmm. Uh, I give it five stars, and I've given it five stars over and over again on Letterboxd, and it's just mm-hmm. everything I want from a movie. It's everything I want from the intention of a movie. It's everything I want from an execution of little moments, and uh, yeah, like Jersey said, it's like you're clearly watching something made by a master that is like, you feel safe watching it to, mm-hmm. through any emotions. You know it's not going to be fake. You know it's not going to be have a twist ruin it or just whatever. It's just You just know that it's worth investing in as you're watching it. Okay. Jersey? Yeah, it's it's also a five for me. It is also everything that I want out of a movie. I feel like a comfortable, happy little baby being taken care of. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you like the end, because they're yeah, a baby and I, you're also a baby. baby. They're crying babies. I'm a crying baby. I'm mm-hmm. in, they're in a theater, like watching this thing. I'm there like with this movie in front of me crying. Like mm-hmm. it's this perfect, like I'm just one with the movie in that moment. Mm-hmm. Every movie should end with people in movie theater seats or audience <laughs> seats crying. Like what? That's like, this is so perfect. It's a, like, five, it's a five for me. It's a five for <clears> me. I'm sorry. It's a five for me. Okay. <laughs> five out of five. I'm going to say, well, okay, the, the two and a half hour version for me is a five. Mm-hmm. And the three hour version for me is also a five. <laughs> okay, Alex, did you want to give your three hour version uh, review too? Yeah, it's it's one of those things where there's multiple infinities, how there's infinite numbers and there's also infinite even numbers but there's more numbers than even numbers and it's like how can that be so it's just this thing where i do like a two and a half 
more than the five, uh, three, three hour one, but they are both fives for me. Okay. So you do prefer the two and a half though? I do prefer it, but I, I think it could be improved with some versions of the three hour version. Okay. So I guess it's my turn. So I think there's a lot of pros to this movie. I mean, we've discussed them, but yeah, the dialogue is very grounded. Everything is very real. Um, the acting's incredible. What I struggle with with this movie is that I have a really hard time keeping my attention on it. Uh, I think it's just in some parts kind of long and meandering, which if you break them down into bits, like those scenes sure are all like really well written. The characters are great, etc. But um, it's just, it just doesn't keep my attention and it feels too long it feels like a hundred hours it probably took me like seven hours to watch this movie (laughs) both times felt the same way both times but there are the pros so I think I'm gonna go with I'm gonna say three I have up to a three wow you went up a whole star though so that's I did go up a whole star I feel really good about that there are a lot of really smart things about this movie (laughs) I mean there are a lot of pros but yeah ultimately I don't enjoy watching it is kind of what it comes down to, I guess. That's the most important thing to me about a movie is do I enjoy watching it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I could really... 100% validate that. That's like... So so if that's my experience, if I can break down these pieces and say like all of these pieces are, yeah, very good, very well accomplished, like, etc. But together, I don't enjoy watching them. Then, you know, what do you do with that? Then three's too high. But I still think there are some really smart things about this movie, so... I'm going with three for now, but when we get to would we recommend this film, I think I'll have to say no, personally, oh. but but y'all obviously say yes. Yeah, right? I, w- I would lightly recommend this film to <laughs> you casual moviegoers. <laughs> <laughs> Jersey, what do you think? I, yeah, I mean, that's a tough one. Like, Alex recommended it to me, and he, mm-hmm. here's what he told me. He was like, oh, this is But he is knew you be... were a pervert going in. He knew, yeah. yeah, he knew I was a cry cry pervert, and then I love this movie, because <laughs> I like these kind of talky mm-hmm. movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I can totally see why this is not everyone's favorite movie. Mm-hmm. I think this is a niche movie. I think this is a, a niche genre of movie. I would say it's, it's worth trying it. You know, yeah. see if you like the movie. You can turn it off. If you don't like it after 30 minutes, you're probably not gonna like the whole thing Mm -hmm. but you know what if it's your new favorite movie or what if it what if you really connect with something in it it's a movie that's all about human suffering and growing up and we've all experienced those two things so definitely give it a shot it could be for you but i don't think it's for everyone definitely 100 recommend five-star movie i i think that this movie just how it got buried i think there's people and i was one of these people just wandering the streets just longing for this movie and just have no idea they can have it. I I only came across it because after Manchester by the Sea came out, and that mm-hmm. was you know very obviously a very big award winning film. So everyone saw it, and I was like, what What else does this guy do? And it's like, what is this movie? Nobody's ever heard of, or at least not me, because I'm not a fucking I don't know enough about movies and crap. I heard about this movie through like a Facebook group for people who like movies, Hell and yeah. there was. There was some time where, like, over a couple days, I saw this movie come up, like, four times with people just being like, this is the best movie I've ever seen. So I was like, whatever, I'll check it out. And then, you know, didn't like it. (laughs) (laughs) Now it's time for Scream Vomit. In 
this part of the pod, we just talk about whatever else we've been watching lately, movies, shows, whatever. So one of y'all, tell me what you've been watching. I only want to talk about Margaret. It seems disrespectful. It's, <laughs> it, feels like, it feels like we just saw a woman get killed by a bus and we're going back to class. That's what it feels yeah. like. It feels okay. like well, going through Margaret and then it's like, oh, <laughs> I like the other two. Season two is on HBO Max now. That's funny. <laughs> but Are I you watching it? Yeah, I like the other two. Oh, yeah. I saw the first season. I love the first season, but yeah. I haven't cracked into the second one yet. Australian Survivor's heating up really great. South African Survivor, really great. American Survivor's coming back later this <laughs> month. A lot of great great things uh, about being a Survivor fan right now. Okay. That's what yeah. I got. That's it? <laughs> what? It's one narrative comedy and uh, three different Survivor shows I'm watching. And Succession's <laughs> coming back, which has okay. Jay Smith Cameron from Margaret, which has mm-hmm. Kieran Culkin from Margaret. And uh, I don't know if she's still on the cast, but uh, Jeannie Berlin from Margaret. Excited for new Succession. I didn't keep up with Succession personally. Oh, wow. Sorry. Wow. This is, this is just a, Sorry. This is a tough <laughs> podcast. <laughs> for me. <laughs> Jersey just got into Succession. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so I've, I've just been, I've been watching Succession. I watched the first season of Succession. Just started the second season. Uh, it's great. Um, I've been re-watching a lot of stuff. I've been re- rewatched Enlightened after White Lotus. Enlightened's great. Watched uh, Life During Wartime again recently. Um, still great. Good, good uh, you know, end of the Afghanistan War 9-11 movie to think about <laughs> as well as uh, Margaret. Uh, watched Margaret oh, yeah. twice in two weeks and uh, Survivor South Africa with Alex. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. It's great. It's great. It's really ramped up quite a bit. All right. That's it for you? For both of y'all? That's all I got. I wish I had, like, seen, like, a friend's good movie or something in the past two weeks. I wish I could, like, plug something that's not just, like, an HBO TV show or something. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, that's what I've been watching. I've seen a cut of a, uh, two cuts of a feature by uh, Screen Vomit Favorites, uh, Clay Tatum and Whitmer Thomas. Oh, yeah. And uh, their movie is really good. But I don't know when that's yeah. coming out. I don't think they'll be out by the time this podcast comes out, but it's great. No, probably not. Okay, I have a couple things, too. Go off. All right. So I watched uh, the 2019 film Dogs Don't Wear Pants, which is a Finnish film. Have y'all seen? Mm-mm. It's about a guy whose wife dies, and he's kind of fucked up about it until he finds a dominatrix, and shit gets wild. It's very beautiful. It's got cool gore. That was very good. Dogs don't wear pants. Okay. I watched the 2005 movie La Moustache, which is about a guy who shaves his mustache and then uh, is upset when nobody notices that he shaved his mustache. That's a great premise. It is. <laughs> I kind of went into it thinking it was just going to be like a silly, like absurd movie, but it actually was very intense and twisted. It was really cool. La Moustache. I actually paired that with a short, uh, which I've already seen and talked about on pod, but this short called Flick, I think is a very good precursor to the movie. Uh, It's about a guy who can't get a booger off of his finger. Um, (laughs) It's kind of the same thing where it's a very silly premise, but it's done in a very intense way. So I really like that short too. Lastly, I watched this movie from 1996 called Kissed, uh, which is about essentially like a poly relationship, except that one person is a necrophiliac uh, and fucks dead people on the side of her regular relationship. (laughs) But it's like the tone of it is like a beautiful romance movie. It's like very sincere and like sweet movie. (laughs) So (laughs) I kind of like that having like a really fucked up premise but playing it very sweet and sincere i thought that was pretty cool that's called kissed and i guess in a way those are all all the three features are sort of love stories which i famously hate love but uh these were all done in very interesting ways and why do you hate love i just never enjoy a love story almost never it's very rare (laughs) what's your favorite love story movie (laughs) 
Oh my gosh. Um, well, I liked all these movies I just said. Okay. Other than that, I might have to think about it. So you watch Punch Drunk Love and you're like, eh, I don't care. I haven't seen Punch Drunk Love in a long time. So I actually don't even really remember much about what happens. Uh, I just, I think mainly what I hate about love movies is that more or less like the same thing happens over and over again. If it's a straight love movie, it's like somebody cheats. There's some kind of dishonesty and then either they break up or they get together and you think they shouldn't be together. Or like if it's a queer love movie, it's like somebody's not out of the closet or there's like it's just very predictable drama that I don't like. And I'm just I'm like, show me something interesting. And I just hate love. I, it's just come up a lot on the podcast. I famously hate love. I'm not impressed by it unless you can make it interesting. And uh, I think the movies that I mentioned all make just it to be clear, you also hate love out outside of uh, mm-hmm. cinema <laughs> just <laughs> just the love in your life you reject <laughs> it you're not yeah. you don't want it i yeah i'm not interested in it don't come at me with that etc unless it's not non-romantic you mean like loving loving like a piece of furniture or like a, a food or something like a mm, a friend some would say <laughs> Yeah. A normal person's mind. Would yeah, Jersey, your example of a non-romantic love jumps straight to inanimate objects. Yeah, like a like a like a thing you really appreciate, like like that and this like pencil that writes really well, or like yeah, I love a good pencil. Yeah, like a like a dry erase board or something mm. that just like is perfectly placed. Yeah. Anyway, can I ask a would you rather? Sure. Uh, would you rather watch Margaret again, the three-hour cut? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Or experience romantic love in your life. <laughs> <laughs> How long do I have to experience romantic love? Is it um, three hours or less? <laughs> <laughs> no, let's say let's say um, a year, a full year of romantic oh, love, oh. <laughs> of incredibly positive, passionate romantic love. It's positive. That might be new for me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no zero zero downside. Oh, other than the inevitable sadness that it ends. Yeah, is this open to the room? Because I think this is an interesting question. I, I like this. Answer uh, the question, Jersey. It's a really tough one. No, I just want to talk about the question. You know, because I think the problem with like the the love option is the fact that it ends, as you say. Like that's mm-hmm. it's like movies are great because you know when it ends, it's it feels if it was a good movie, it feels good that it's over. You know, it's which is the way relationships ought to be, but so rarely. I don't think are. I have trouble with the ending. The ending of relationships, I don't think that bothers me that much. That's the best part for you? Is when I, when I... <laughs> well, based on the types of people I end up dating all the time, generally, it's a blessing when it ends. I gotta say, I, I think a, I don't think I'm alone with this. I feel like the ending is like the worst part, right? Like that's mm-hmm. that's, like yeah, the... that's how a normal person would ha- think. Yeah, hot take, but I have to agree with you. <laughs> the ending is usually kind of rough. But like like the film Margaret uh, and relationships, I definitely cry at the end. Mm-hmm. But the crying at the end of Margaret is a sort of cathartic crying that contains beauty for me. The crying at the end of relationships for me is just uh, filled with regret and remorse and dread. And it's horrible. See, I think I've been through enough ending of long-term relationships that I'm like, I can make it through that. Like, it sucks for a little bit. You're sad for a while. But then it's like, whatever, it's over. Like, you can make it. Yeah, I like mourning the relationship while it's happening. <laughs> Just going through yeah, the pain yeah. during. And then when it ends, it's like, oh, that feels good. I- <laughs> <That's> the- <laughs> I kind of just personally, like... I'm not really into marriage or stuff like that. So I kind of feel like 
I don't put a lot of pressure on anything being forever or whatever. So I expect that there will be a time when it will end. I don't always want that to be right now or soon or whatever. But I kind of think at some point that's going to happen, right? Sorry, have you answered the question yet? Would I want rather watch <laughs> Margaret or be loved? <laughs> See, neither of us have really been able to answer this. It's a good, it's a good one. I mean, I, I could answer Margaret. Well, I mean, yeah, you got to pop over. <laughs> I think I kind of answered it. I like crying at the end of Margaret. I don't like crying at the end of relationships. So I guess I'll go okay. with Margaret if it really is like a binary thing like that. But that's also assuming that outside of this scenario, there will be other opportunities for love in my life. Or by watching Margaret in your would you rather scenario, am I giving up on romantic love? Well, this is, a, I mean, you have a loving girlfriend right now. So that we've seen multiple times cross on the Zoom. And I kept <laughs> wanting to say hi to her, but I forget that you're wearing headphones. But if you I said, were. I said hi for you once yeah yeah but if you were like single right now right it, like she just vanished and that option presented itself you would take oh let me take a year of love right yeah yeah i guess of so. course right. <laughs> this guy knows me so well <laughs> alex you would also take the love or what yeah if, if i was single and it was like the option was like oh let me get some love in my life or watch a movie although i love this movie <laughs> I would be like, oh, you know what? I've rewatched Margaret enough times for a, some podcast I did. I could take, I could take pure positive love for a year. Mm-hmm. If it's gonna be pure and positive, you begrudgingly take that over watching a movie you do not enjoy watching. <laughs> My second thought is, like, how long do I have to watch Margaret? Like, do I have to watch it in one sitting? Or can I, like, I put on 20 minutes a day or something? Like, I feel like you're being the kid in Matthew Broderick's class, like, debating an obvious uh, question here, a real softball question. (laughs) But I don't know. What if if there's, like, a higher consciousness to the gods that we just can't possibly understand? I mean, what if? Am I a wonton boy? (laughs) I I guess it's, like, how much can you hate Margaret if you'd rather watch it than experience pure beautiful love for a full year (laughs) i don't i just i don't know love just seems like such a whole thing a whole hassle i mean there's always a hassle involved i've never it's never there's never not a hassle that's Um, true so like what feels like less of a hassle watching a movie i hate or having to hassle for a whole year i mean it's not like it's just a hassle for a year. It is. <laughs> it, it, this is a hypothetical, right? We're not even talking about a real person. You could just make up a person that is just gives you everything you need, full I just sexual, that would <laughs> just pay off. Like it's just, it's all. Uh, and you're like, eh, I'll watch this movie that I can barely sit through twenty minutes at a time. I love it. I think it's. A, I think it's a cool take. I support it. I know. I mean, it, it's a killer take. We <laughs> love. We stand, Margaret. Here. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going with watch Margaret. <laughs> I, I, th- I like that we've kind of gotten to the real meat of this, which is that Kayla's actually the biggest Margaret fan. Maybe so. <laughs> wow, I didn't think I'd like Screen Vomit After Dark, but Screen Vomit After Dark is the best part of the podcast. <laughs> Plus. 
So do y'all have stuff to plug? Where can people find you, etc.? I have I have nothing to plug. Um my plug something. My social handles are my last name. I'm my full name dot com is my website. You can see my short films. I got nothing. I uh, you you should guys should watch Survivor. I plug Survivor as a as a fan of the community. <laughs> we can always use more fans. Oh yeah. Jersey? I gotta plug uh Man and Superman by George Bernard Shaw. <laughs> Uh, Spring and Fall to a Young Child by Gerard Manley Hopkins and just the fourth act of King Lear by a William a little guy named William Shakespeare. Oh, Billy Shakes? Billy Shakes. <laughs> what else? Anything? You're not going to give a uh, social or a website or anything? Uh, I got nothing right now. I don't... You have, uh, you have old stuff. Nothing? You can look, you go Google me. Uh, my name is Jersey Rose. <laughs> Sorry, I don't have like a take website. His, but... Take his college classes. <laughs> watch his features online. They're great. Like, I'm and really his shorts. Not, I'm, here's my plug. I'm like a really nice guy. Uh, I hope that's come across. <laughs> And if you want to, like, hire me or give me money or anything, just find, you know, look me up. Find me. Just Google Los you. Angeles. Yeah, Google me. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> if you know Alex, ask Alex about me. He'll go give you When I Googled number. you, I saw the blurb about you being a pervert. So <laughs> I don't know if you want to, you know, be sending people that way. But I don't think that that's what that blurb. I don't know what this blurb is. <laughs> but I'm Google, sure you're Google misunderstanding yourself. it. <laughs> Okay, so if that's all the plugs for y'all, I can do mine real quick. You can find the show on Instagram and everywhere else at Screen Vomit, one word on all the stuff. You can send me an email at ScreenVomitPod at gmail.com with your thoughts on this movie or other movies or suggest a movie, whatever. I don't know what we're watching next week yet, but you can follow on Instagram. I'll post it there. And that's all my plugs. So thanks, you two, for coming on. Thanks for super fun. having yeah. us. This is yeah. great. Anytime. Is really let's, do it. let's do it again next week. You want to do the three-hour version next week? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you, and I'll see everybody else next week. Bye-bye. Say goodbye. Oh, goodbye. Goodbye. I've, I've had sex before. I know, I know the way it's supposed to work.